Welcome to Highway Freaks. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host. Introducing my road crew from British Columbia, Canada, Cruising Corinne and Motorhead Mark. From Indiana, it's Ghost Hunter Greg and our Canadian singer, songwriter, and truck driver, GM Blacktop. Produced by Calgary's Power Path. We are Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. That's right. We are Highway Freaks. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host. Real truckers, real life. And speaking of truckers, we have many truckers on our podcast. GM Blacktop, a truck driver. We have Motorhead Mark, who comes on from time to time. He's a busy guy, but he's also a truck driver. And myself, I have actually joined the ranks of owner-operator and not a company driver anymore. So I'll tell you a little bit about that shortly. And we have James P. White from Cruise FM, Edmonton. And he is our host, or I should say our guest host podcaster tonight. And um, he is going to put his input on the show. And uh, welcome, Jimmy, uh, to the show, by the way. Uh, We really are happy to have you. Thank you. Okay, so um, we'll get back to that in a minute. I just want to go to some topics nice real quick. GM Blacktop, what are you talking about tonight? Tonight I am talking about um, relationships, uh, humanity, toxicity in relationships, and uh, I might throw a couple, you know, things about Angela Lonsby in there, just a couple of murder she wrote points, but that's what I'm talking about tonight. Okay, okay. Cruz and Corinne, what's on your mind? Uh, we have another celebrity death to talk about. Uh, David Soul passed away on January 4th, so I'll be covering that. Right. He's one half of Starsky and Hutch. I remember him very well. Ghost Hunter Greg. I'm going to talk about the uh, how interesting the human brain is, and we're going to talk about a gentleman by the name of Kim Peek and uh, what, his, what he has to do with a, with a very famous movie. Okay. All right. And Jimmy, what's on your mind? I'm going to be talking about bullying and uh, Pink Shirt Day, which is coming up in uh, February, February 28th. All right. Okay. And I just recently watched the movie. And sometimes when you watch a movie, it has an impact on you, whether it uh, be something that you know you want to talk to people about. But I think this one is, uh, it hasn't got its just due. So I'm going to be talking about the finest hours, the true story behind the U.S. Coast Guard's most daring sea rescue. And I know, Jimmy, you just saw the movie recently, so you're more than welcome to put your input on that as well. Um, One more thing. uh, Power Pav is our computer programmer and my editor and uh, producer. So uh, everybody uh, can say hi to Power Pav tonight. He's back. And um, one more thing, if you guys have any, uh, you know, ideas or opinions or comments, we'd like you to send it to the road crew 2022 at gmail.com. Tonight, we're featuring GM Blacktop's, what I'm going to call classic songs taken from his Overdrive tracks, pardon the French, on YouTube, and you can also get it on Spotify, I might add. So lots of things to talk about tonight, 
and um, we'll probably uh, talk about some of the Pink Shirt Day, more more information than that, which is coming up on February 28th that uh, Jimmy from Cruise FM actually takes part in as well, and we'll get into that. So, yeah, lots to talk about, so much to talk about. Um, I was telling you, I joined the ranks of owner-operator recently, and I purchased a 2021 Freightliner Cascadia for just under a hundred grand, and I'm happy to say it passed its CVEP safety today. Uh, for those of our freaks that don't know what that is, basically it has to pass a safety for it to be able to be roadworthy to go on the road. Is that a one way to put it, GM? Yeah, that's that's kind of basically what they don't want to do. Is they don't want to see their wheels falling off. So, you know, if there's any right. issues with the track, they're going to know about right. it before they put it out the road. Right. Yeah. Another funny thing, and I have never seen this. Maybe you can clue me in on this, GM. But I had to actually register to take a drug test. You know, yes. pee in the cup. I had to register for this. Now, is this a new thing? Because I've never heard of this. Yeah, it was basically what they're saying is they want to make sure before they lend you the money that you're not smoking, you know, weed, which you can't smoke with a truck driver or, or doing, you know, oxy or, you know, they're making sure that your, your system is clean before they invest that truck into your hands, which kind of wow. makes sense. Okay. Yeah, makes sense, I guess. So, but I pick up the old girl. I'll call her the old new girl next week. Um, absolutely thrilled. And I'm going to give a plug to Pride Truck Sales because these guys, if you're not buying a truck from them, you are missing out. I cannot believe the extras and the goodies that I'm getting by getting this truck. I mean, uh, not to mention the fact that very few companies and i'm sure you can agree with this gm give you about six hundred dollars worth of free diesel as part of the deal like yeah, that's unheard deal. of a, yeah i might it, try it to really is if i can sell my truck because i'm trying to sell my truck i'm driving another truck now but i might see if, they, uh, if there's uh, some interest in that too so yeah i've never heard of pride so i'm glad that you're talking about them because uh, that might be something i can make an inquiry on but they sound like a good company they, they are amazing. And and the good thing about this is they have over 45 locations in Canada and the United States. They even have a fuel network. So if it turns out that I work for this company and down the road I decide I want to go elsewhere, greener pastures, whatever, uh, I can actually go into their, their fuel network. That blew me out of the water. Like these guys, I, they're so appropriately named, Pride Truck Sales. And later on in the podcast, we give out pylon shoutouts where people have done good for us. Uh, you know, the uh, blue pylon for the guy, the red for the woman, and um, the black for somebody that pissed you off. And I will be talking about some of the guys at Pride Truck Sales that have done me good because, wow, I, I am so over the moon with these guys and how the, how they've treated me. I've never been treated like this, and uh, it's it's a good feeling. It really is. Okay, so let's get into the topics. That's the best way to do it. And um, we're going to start tonight. I always like to pick random. Uh, but tonight we had Greg prior to this. Uh, I think he was on uh, first and Cruz and Crin was before that. So tonight we're going to actually surprise everybody and go with Mr. Controversy himself, my buddy, GM Blacktop, singer-songwriter, toxicity and toxic relationships. Tell us about that, GM. Okay, well, I will. Um, I'm the kind of a deep thinker, I guess you could say, and I, 
in my life I've watched and I've had marriages break down and I think everybody's had marriages break down. And I think I just wanted to sort of talk about the different types of uh, people uh, and personalities that, that, you know, then get married or, or go out with somebody and come in, in, into a relationship. And all of a sudden shit starts to go wrong. The person ends up being, you know, this way or that way or, you know, you know, taking away your self-confidence or starts drinking or starts looking at other girls and the girl starts looking at other guys or it's just all these different elements. So what I wanted to kind of do tonight is go around the, uh, go around the crew and just kind of talk, not about your necessarily your personal woes or whatever, but just talk about what kind of, what kind of toxicity and what kind of relationship makes it through past toxic toxicity and what kind of relationship like for example in a with narcissistic disorder what kind of relationship uh just totally demolishes a person from anything that they're really all about just because they need to you know please that person or or they're afraid of that person or whatever so i think we've all been there and it's not really a gender thing because there's there's good and bad people in both genders of course but in my particular case um uh, there was a little toxicity, but I ended up, you know, leaving. I was married twice. I left both my wives. And, yay me, right? Uh, and there was no real narcissism, but there was just people change people and they want to change people. I found in my, in my world, especially in my second marriage, the very reason she fell in love with me was me playing my guitar and singing music. And it, 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 it ended up that that was what broke us in the end because I left her and a one-year-old baby, which I'm not proud of, but uh, I left her because she wanted me to stop my music and that was my dream and I could not do that. So she said, now, now you're, you've got to change your priorities and you got to be home, you know, blah, blah, blah. I get all that, but I couldn't do that. So in this case, it wasn't so much toxicity, but I guess you could say it borderlines on the fact that it could be because to expect somebody to change their dreams or to shut their dreams down because of another reason I think is wrong. But there's other people uh, on this panel, I'm sure. I mean, just, just by pure random numbers that have had toxic people in their life. Wonderful people. There should be some, some time spent on that too, because uh, there are truly some wonderful people out there that, that don't possess toxicity that, often get um uh taken advantage of or you know people just think they're so nice they can walk over them or whatever the case may be so maybe we could start with uh with greg and i wondered to greg if you had any opinions on on this whole way that two people can change uh an interactive relationship and turn one person into somebody else or diminish them or build them up or whether you've had any experience with that and I'll narrate. Oh. Yeah, I'll, I'll go around the whole crew as we go here after we're done with Greg. Oh, I've I've had plenty of experience with it. I've <laughs> I'm I've been horrible when it comes to relationships. I seem to <clears throat> I seem to always pick women who are uh, a little less than sane. I guess you could say. Um, I now I've I've had a few that that a few that I'm still actually very very close friends with and love dearly. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, on, for the most part, you know, I, I had one that 
turned out to be a full-blown alcoholic. That was that was a trip. Um, yeah, it's people. People can definitely change people just simply by by their by their attitudes. Um, Do you ever think that you, can you actually? I don't need your name, but can you actually say there's ever been a person in your life that made you a better person or a more cynical person or a more uh, uh, non-responsive person or self, self-confident self or uh, self, self-respect? self I mean, has a woman ever affected you as a man for better or worse? Yeah, and I'd say the, the one that's affected me for better, and it wasn't a romantic relationship at any time she's just she is absolutely probably my best friend in the whole world and that's ashley mm-hmm. and she has she has really she's proven to me that that there are women out there who can who can treat you just because of who you are they don't they don't right. give they don't give a shit if you don't have money or you don't have fame or you don't drive a, a really fancy car she's just she's just totally I, yeah, I consider, I consider her and her dad and her mom, you know, as family, they're, they're great friends and, and product of her raising probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Country, good old country folk, you know, good thing. How about, um, how about you, Brian, being a truck driver? I've got a few more points on, on, on being a truck driver in relationships, but you can relate. I don't know how many years you've been driving, Brian, but I've been driving for nearly 30. So I've got a bit of experience there. So. What about you? How do you, how do you see this whole thing? Um, this is really quite interesting that you say this because I have been home now for 35 days and counting, and mm-hmm. I haven't really actually done this in 27 years where I spent this much time with my wife. Mm-hmm. And w- honestly, we're having a blast. We're watching mm-hmm. TV. We're binge watching mm-hmm. shows. Uh, you know, we're making supper for one another. And uh, I would say the key is communication, laughter, and sitting down and spending time with one another. And uh, by the way, Motorhead Mark has just joined us. And uh, glad to have you on the show tonight, Mark. And I know you're going to be able to add some really good input into this, but uh, that's what I think the key is to having a really good relationship. If you don't have those three... Hold yeah. on. If if you don't have those three elements, then you don't have anything in your relationship. And when you've been with someone for over two or three decades, like myself, you got to keep things up fresh. You got to spice it up. And um, it's just been awesome being home for this length of time because I've I've gotten to know my wife again. No, oh, that's great. That's awesome. And and the one thing I was going to add to that to the comment about you being a truck driver and all. I'll certainly ask Mark the same question, but um, I think part of the problem that you have with truck drivers, for example, is it's not just being away. There's two elements there. Um, the first element is being away and not spending time with communicating and, you know, being part of the whole hug and kiss process and, you know, the whole uh, building of relationships, which all relationships are supposed to have if they're going to be good ones. The second problem is it's kind of like being a sailor in the sense that. When you're always away from your partner, you, you, you tend to develop or build your own life. And I know in my experience, I'm a little older now, but when I was young, 
I mean, uh, when I was single and I'm doing trucking, it was in a shit show, really, because the market price agreed that because you always had your own schedule, you never had to worry about this or that. The amount of girlfriends that you a person could have is immense. Like, I mean, immense, like 10 at a time juggle kind of thing when you're in your 20s or 20s, 30s or whatever. And that's very dangerous because it, it teaches people that, and I guess you could say the same thing if in the military or whatever the case may be, or, or you know, um, being on a freighter or a ship or you know, something, is that when you're alone like that, you tend to build your own world around your world and your relationship is kind of out there on the outside and it sort of it, you know, it dips into your world and it's, it's kind of interesting. So with that said, I'm going to go right to Mark right away because you might be able to add to what I'm just talking about here. Hey there, everybody. Good evening. Um, I, I can add to it. And Good. Brian knows a little bit about my past and Corinne knows a little bit about my past. And um, what I have learned, and I, I've been the toxic person and I've been on the other side of the toxic person. And, and what I've truly, truly, truly believe in all of my heart is there, yes, you're right. There has to be communication. Yes, there has to be trust, but there has to be, uh, one of the things that I found that is so, uh, what is it? It's the ignition to the fire, the spark to the fire, um, is security. Yeah, I, and and I know that might sound a little strange to some people, but when you're with somebody that's insecure, everything right. you say, everything you do gets questioned. And even right. though you want to be sincere to that person, you want to say, "Hey, look, I'm trustworthy. Hey, look, I'm not doing anything wrong." It starts to really stir up. Um, instead of having a clean slate, it starts bringing up um, rough really 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 rough path for both of you and resentment starts to creep in and then the trust starts to get eaten away even though you haven't done anything wrong that insecurity when you were younger when you were younger i had this, I had this that... two years ago oh okay I, but when you I were had younger this two years when... ago okay and when you were younger did you find that having all of that freedom when you were younger, allowed you to talk up waitresses or talk up shippers oh, and girls. I, and did you, find, did you find yourself comfortable with that because you were living in your own world with nobody around it? What I, what I found when I was on the road like that, and it wasn't even that long ago, um, what I found and, and unfortunately experienced is you're right. You build your world is, is what you're doing. Your world is in that truck. And when you're on the highway and you don't have to really take into consideration anybody else or anybody's feelings, what you're doing is literally living for yourself. And when yeah. you get used to a situation like that and you get back to, uh, let's just say you go home and you meet somebody Well, you're still in that mode, you're, you're, you're really not healthy enough to bring a decent side of you to a relationship because you're right. You go and chat up the waitresses, you go and chat up the, the, the girls in the bars. If you go and have a beer after you park your truck for the night, um, mm -hmm. not, you know, it, it's just, there's too much freedom and too much openness and men, I don't know what women are like and, and a woman's opinion here would be good, but men, when they're out like that and they're out on the road or they're just 
out and about, if they have that freedom, they tend to get a sense of, of empowerment and it sucks. It's, 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 yeah. unfortunately it's false. Um, yes. it's, it's a false way to live. False, con- false control. I would say yeah, absolutely. That in, in my many years of trucking and many years of knowing this business, I would say that most truckers, and I don't want to say all, oh, Brian, you might be in a different position because you've been married a long time, but I would say that most truckers, just because of the long distance, because of being away, because we're not all rocket scientists, blah, blah, blah. Most truckers have a pretty checkered relationship past. Would you agree with that, Corinne? Or, or maybe I'll ask Mark that first because he's a trucker. I, I would, and I, and I hate to say it. I, I would be part of that category, and I'm not proud of it. Yeah, um, me too. I made a yeah. change in my life a few years ago, and unfortunately, the person I was trying to be with just couldn't see it just couldn't understand it i had decided i wasn't going to go down those roads anymore and it didn't work out and the lady that i'm with now she knows my past she knows yeah (laughs) she knows the good and bad yeah right and um the the the, i literally was with a, a woman about 10 years ago i was with a woman that everybody in the neighborhood including the businesses down the hill from where she lived called her the crazy bitch up the hill because she just, <laughs> yeah. she was, she was one of those toxic people, lovely person, yeah. good to her kids. But the second the switch got flipped, yeah. she yeah. was absolutely 100%. Right. As you say, in the title of your, your thing here, she was toxic and you yeah. couldn't get away from it. Yeah, GM, okay. you got a, you got a double whammy, man. You're a truck driver and a musician. Yeah, I both. I, I, I mean, the musician side of because there was a time when my music was I was pretty in my own circles of trucking and stuff. I was pretty it was pretty good. So I know the feeling of of having, you know, fans and stuff. So I know the feeling and how that is, how hard that is on on different elements of your life. And, you know, you become you learn how to become secretive. You learn how to, you know, like this crazy stuff. So there's the whole other whole other discussion there. But thanks for bringing it up. Uh, Corinne, um, how about you? Uh, maybe you could talk about you being the woman and not necessarily with a trucker, but have you experienced anybody ever trying to change you or, or push you into a mold that they can work with as a control freak or as a, an aggressive person or a violent person? I mean, where's your background? And it doesn't have to be specifically, but where's your thoughts on this? Yeah, Corinne, what, what's your opinion here? Mark, you know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, when a lot of times when relationships start out, it's all the, what do you call that, the honeymoon phase? And everything's all great. And that's what happened to me starting about, well, in 2013. And met met a guy, he actually pursued me apparently. And uh, yeah, the first year was was great. And then he turned into... (laughs) toxic, narcissistic, abusive asshole. And it just progressively got worse over the years. And uh, he, uh, I I lost who I was because he was controlling. And it was emotionally, um, mentally, and in the end, physically abusive. Did Um, it affect other parts of your life? Like, did it affect your work, your family, your dreams, your interests? Definitely. My, I know um, I actually missed out on a career opportunity because of him. 
and um, I got cut off by my, from my kids and my daughter-in-law, um, mm, partly because I wasn't allowed to have them over and partly because they didn't want to be around him. Right. right. I don't blame them. Um, so I, how do you I, get away from something like that? Like when, when somebody beats you down like that and tears apart your personality, probably because you're such a nice person. That's the way narcissists, uh, narcissistic guys roll. They, they, they live to suck the life out of you and live off your personality because they're just basically scared little children when it comes to when yeah. you take their mask off, right? Well, I haven't shared this with too many people, but two years ago, I felt so dead inside because I couldn't, in I wasn't allowed to enjoy anything that I used to enjoy, um, <clears throat> even like motorcycling. We'd go riding and I would get ridiculed every single ride. And so I was just a shell. The real me was gone. And I decided at that point, if I'm that dead inside, I might as well either be dead or I need to get out. And so yeah. I chose to get out. It took me a while. Um, it took me like most of that year because I had to kind of plan. I had to find a place to go and all that kind of stuff. Right, and right. then I made a bit of a... I don't know if it was a bad decision or not yet. I did have some good times, but um, there had been a motorcycle trip to Mexico planned while we were still together because I had broken up with him. And I thought we could be friends. Lots of exes can be friends. And so I went ahead with the trip. And uh, it was supposed to be five, six months over the winter. And I was back home in two months because he became physically abusive and then abandoned me in the middle of mainland Mexico. Which is insanity to begin with. And, and well, it, it, I mean, in the end, it turned out great because that really, I got myself back because I was traveling back home on my own. And so I got to find out what I was yeah. all about. And, um, Which is a great recovery method, yeah. Yeah. That's so, in the, I mean, now that's, you know, that's a year ago that that happened, just over a year. And, um, and how, do you feel yourself as a victim still or are you working past that or where are you at with that? No, I don't consider myself a victim now because that's in the past and I'm moving forward and meeting new people and growing even even more as a person and the more real me coming out, um, discovering new things right. that I'm interested in. And yeah, so no, I don't see myself as a victim now. That's great. Jimmy, how about you? Do you have anything to add to this or do you have any thoughts you want to share with the concept? Or Okay, so... A lot of a lot of people don't know this about me. I'm not very active with the ladies. I, I'm very nervous. I like the women. Women. I've had women ask me what my name is, and I forgot it. Um, wow. I I've been that way. I've been. I've I had a girlfriend when I was like twelve. She passed away. It broke my heart. Um, oh wow! And and then then I, you know, ventured out, tried different things. I I'm not I'm I'm very like I I'm very I have a very Christian belief. I I've always right. you know save save myself until I yeah. I I get married. I, I was a 45-year-old virgin until a friend bought me a hooker. Um, and that was it. And, and that's the truth. 
And personally, and then, I'm a virgin until I put porn on, then I'm all in. Uh, but, but that's <laughs> but that's different. But but, then, but the the thing is though is I used to I used to travel a lot. I used to be with a little person's basketball team, and oh, I, it cool. was uh, they were called the Canadian Half Pints. They were all the majority of us were actually all of us were under the height of uh, four foot seven. And there was oh, wow. a lot of guys that would like, like I know a guy that, you know, no offense intended, um, banged a girl in the bathtub because he was sharing a room with somebody else. Um, and it was me. And so I kept opening the door, just to make it uncomfortable. But, <laughs> but, but it's just, I wasn't that guy. I had so many opportunities where women were like, Hey, you're so cool. Do you, and, and I'm, and I got shy. So why I, shy though? Do, 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 are you intimidated by their size or like what, what would make no, you it's, shy? No, it's, it's been, it's part of, part of it is it, like, as I, as I said, I'm saving myself, but, right. but also is, I don't know you. Right. Like, like before I, do that do that with with someone i'm i want to know them i want to know who they are i want to know like and i want them to know me i want them to know all right. my deep and dark like from being a stripper to right you know all the different things and did you ever feel a woman's toxicity did you ever just look in their eyes and see that's a bad bitch right there okay it it wasn't but that wasn't in a uh, physical relationship. That was actually okay. with with someone that I. So I, for a number of years, I lived with the mother of a friend of mine. Right. We didn't have we didn't have a physical relationship, right. but we right. But we were really close. I was we were like family. But then right. she became very controlling. I wow. couldn't go. I couldn't stay out late with my friends. I oh, went, wow. And she was a sixty-five-year-old woman. And wow. And and I was in my mid-forties. I started wow. working in rate. The, the what broke it for me was when I'd go to the like I was at a bar event, and she didn't like that I drank. And I oh, stayed oh. out. And I stayed out later anticipating she was going to go to bed early. I right. got home at two 30 in the morning. She was sitting in the living room waiting wow. for me. And, and then, oh. and I'm like, okay, this is done. And yeah. Yeah. With, with, it, within, very like that. Yeah. When, within two months I was, uh, she threatened to kick me out. Her daughters talked her in for me to stay there. Cause she needed the rent I was paying. You're right. And, and I'm like, I can't do that. And so that's I when I, that. it was, it's like, we didn't even have a physical relationship, but she, right. she was doing totally that, yeah. wanted to control every aspect of my life. She didn't like the fact that I was working, that I was out late. I had a Crazy. late job. I was working right. till seven o'clock at night. Right. Like, right. Yeah. It Crazy. was, yeah. So, sounds, sounds like, 
Sounds like some kind that, of really weird maternal thing. Well, I was just what yes. it reminded me of is there's a movie that came out in the and of course it's not the same level of this, but there was a movie that came out. Some of you might have seen it. It was called Boxing Helena, and what it was about was this girl who's a beautiful woman got in with this guy who kind of the same thing wanted to control, didn't like her going out, blah blah blah. To make a long story short. And then I'll give the, 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 the mic back to, to Brian to bring up the next person because we've had a great talk on this. But this movie was about this beautiful woman. One day she wakes up without an arm. Like this f***ing doctor just chopped her arm off and amputated her arm. Blah, blah, blah. She, she builds with that. He ended up taking this woman and making her just a torso so that she wouldn't go anywhere. That's oh the kind of... That is the kind of for their own insecurity, where in this case of this movie, he literally removed her limbs so she couldn't go anywhere. And with that, it was a great topic. Thanks for letting me have it, and thanks for all your input, everybody. I don't think I missed anybody, did I? Nope. No, you got her, you got her cased. So, uh, very interesting topic. Uh, I like uh, That was really good. I was going to mention, Jimmy does have a radio wife, though. Don't you, Jamie? Jimmy, still? Uh, still a couple, but... But what, so everybody knows what a radio wife is, is basically I don't have a lot of women influence in my life that actually sees my lifestyle. So we talk about my lifestyle on the radio and my radio wife is, she'll go, yeah, you're being a dick. Like if, <laughs> if I, like in in the case of sometimes, Locke and Grant piss me off and I get a little moody. I don't see it, but other people do. So the radio wife calls in and goes, yeah, you're being a moody asshole. Um, (laughs) So that's my radio wife. I think it's great. I think it's great. I I, I think it's really good. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Motorhead Mark, I don't know what's on his mind. It's going to be a surprise tonight. He's going to tell you. And right now, this is some classic GM blacktop on visit number 60 of Highway Freaks. Baby, get ready. I took the long way home, dangerous curves and gravel road. Been down a time or two, lost my nerve and turned away. I've seen some lonely nights, smoke filled bars and empty rooms. Lost everything I own, got back up and kept on driving. I wanna get back to my roots, get a place just out of town. Get back close to you, baby, get ready. I put you through Well I'm out here being me Baby get ready We'll buy an SUV Drive around just looking sporty Pick up an old John B Till the ground and make it work I'll call my Uncle Joe He always said he'd get me started There's just no stopping all the things That we can do 
everybody I'm Motorhead Mark from Vancouver Island British Columbia I have recently um, had to stand on the sidelines while I emotionally witnessed not visually but emotionally witnessed bullying and there's a few people in my life that know how I was raised my father and, and, and my raising is for another topic, but my father was incredibly brutal. And I, I spent many, many, many terrifying days and nights. I spent time in the hospital and I had to run away from home to save my own life. So that's another story, but I was beat up constantly in high school, beat up constantly in elementary school. I was beat up in the army until I started to learn how to take care of myself. And then the beating stopped. But recently... Um, we'll just say her name is Cheryl, um, works for a company that provides hospitality and, uh, a comfortable, um, mode to take care of a couple of hours of your day. It's a, a public place and, um, a man that I know 
entered this place and was cordial at first. And then this man sat down to take a break and spent a little bit of time enjoying his, uh, his two hours. And Cheryl went over to say, hey, how you doing? And let's just say Gus decided to unleash on her while she was working. So Cheryl and Gus had met each other a couple of times. And um, as he was going through his, his verbal abuse, he literally gave her an opportunity. Said, you probably don't want to hear this. Cheryl was upset. And Gus didn't care. She said, no, I don't want to hear it. I don't want, didn't want to hear it from the beginning, and I don't want to hear any more. And Gus didn't give a crap. Gus carried on. And I don't care who you are. That kind of behavior is uncalled for. It's oh, yeah. unnatural. It's inappropriate. And that abuse, that emotional defeat is, is, is barbaric in my opinion. It takes our, our, um, I, I think it takes our way of life and our society back 50 years. And, and it made me sick. I couldn't do anything about it. It's not my situation, but I was sick to my stomach when I found out about it. And I'll, I'll bring something up and I know Corinne will be okay with this, but Corinne, when she just told you guys, she was abandoned in Mexico. Um, what she didn't tell you is that I was in regular communications with her while she was on her trip, because I knew in my heart, I knew in my heart, this piece of garbage was going to not follow through with being a gentleman. And he wasn't going to follow through with being a good guy. And he absolutely was not going to follow through with being trustworthy. And I, I knew in my heart I had to stay in contact with her. I knew in my heart I had to watch over her from here. And anytime I could give advice, I did to try and get her home safe. Well, here we go. You know, six, seven months later, I'm standing on the sidelines and the same bloody thing comes up. Another man could be a narcissist. I'm not sure, but he's a bully. And if you're going to bully somebody, you should not be a man putting your pants on one leg at a time, figuring that it's okay to bully a woman at any point in time and in any variety. There's mental bullying. There's emotional bullying. There's physical bullying. There's, there's uh, uh, name bashing. There's, there's, there's all kinds of ways a human being can be a bully. And I thought long and hard about it, and it brought me back to a state I was in about 10 years ago where I was going to try and build a program for myself and I was going to go to high schools and talk about bullying because I experienced such horrific things and broken bones and blood lost and surgeries that I had to have because of bullying that I've experienced in my time. Um, I'm not that kid anymore. So like I said, the physical bullying stopped. Um, but the emotional bullying, I still see it. I, I, I hear people talking about it in schools today. My son 
when he was younger, came to visit with me. It was my uh, my holiday to have him. He was living with his mom, and it was time for him to go to bed. And I said, all right, kiddo, take your shirt off, go have a shower. He goes, no, Dad. And I said, pardon? I said, just, you know, go down the hall and take your shirt off, go have a shower. He goes, well, okay, but you can't be there. And I thought, all right, something's up. That's weird. Why, why, why can't I, you know, and, and it's not a sicko thing. It's just like, why would my kid be embarrassed to take a shirt off in front of me? He's a child. So I said, what's going on? He goes, I don't want you to know. And I said, all right, lift uh, your shirt up. He had nine. We had to count them and document them. He had nine different fist marks from nine wow. different boys in his middle school from beating him, but they would only hit him in the back and in the ribs. So I had to experience it with my own children. And, it, you know, the people say that this society is zero tolerance. Well, I, I call bullshit on that. I don't want to swear. I don't want to be bringing up bad language, but that's absolute 100% BS that we have zero tolerance because we do have tolerance. We let it happen. Right. Sometimes we can do something about it. Sometimes we can't do anything about it. Sometimes the 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 strong just absolutely feed on the strength they get from going after the weak and right. going after the weak is not being strong going after the weak is not being a man and right. absolutely a man going after a woman like that is disgusting and should never ever ever be allowed uh, and and you guys when i finish this i would love to hear what you guys have to say but um, I've stepped in many times, many, many, many times I've stepped in from seeing men being brutal to women, whether it was emotional, verbal, or physical. I've gotten in fights. I've gotten in yelling matches. I've been, a, uh, I've literally put my body in the way of harm to stop and prevent a woman being bullied from a man. And at this day and age, I'm 60 years old. And I figured I would never see that anymore. I figured that experiences would be behind me and they're not. And it just, it grates me to the core that mm -hmm. men can walk this planet and think it's okay mm -hmm. to say and do the things that they do against women. It's not okay. And, and, and the perfect example is this, this was a, a, a format and a slogan years ago because of a woman that was in court and the, 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 uh, lawyer that was coming at her said, well, did you try to get him to stop? Did you do anything? And she goes, I said, no. And no means no. That was right. a, it was a Jodie Foster movie. No right. means no. When this Cheryl, when Cheryl said, no, I don't want to hear it. That should have ended. It never should have started in the first place, but that should have absolutely 100% put the brakes on pump the yeah. brakes, buddy, shut your hole. No more. <clears throat> You know, just like when you're driving down the road, put some glass in the hole, man, it's cold. Well, he should have stopped and he didn't. And the ugly thing is, is there were witnesses. People need to stand up. People need to shout and say enough. That's not going to happen anymore. And there are ways to, to get band together with the other people to get bullies to stop and prevent it from happening. It, it, it makes me cry inside. It makes me cry outside. Um, I, I was absolutely floored when this piece of crap abandoned Corinne in Mexico. I, I was blown away and I was speechless for a moment. And then it was like, all right, um, 
you know, you go into, uh, you go uh, for me, I went into protection mode. I, I had to find a way to give her information. I know a little bit of the layout. I know a, a couple of ways that she could have made her way back and it was up to her. I just gave her information. I tried to build her up and give her strength. I prayed my butt off every single day until I knew she was back in the States. And then it was pray that she got on a plane and pray that she got home safely. And, you know, when this thing happened with Cheryl, I started praying again because that's in her brain. That's in her heart. That's in her spirit now. And, and you know, how do you shake that off? Ooh. It's not easy to shake that kind of stuff off anymore. And, you know, whether you're 20 years old or 50 years old, it, it, it still stings. I don't care how thick skinned you are. Once that piercing of that, of your body armor, once that gets pierced, it gets in. And when it gets in, it's hard to get it out. Mm-hmm. So that's my topic tonight, guys, is, is bullying and absolutely centered on men bullying women. Right. Um, so, it, you know, I, I know I included you in that, Corinne, and I hope you can forgive me for saying a couple of things about your experiences. But, okay. um, it Brian, you and I have talked about this in the past. You know what my feelings are about anybody who bullies anybody around me, I do what I can to prevent it. But, um, yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys have to think, what you have to say. I'm sorry. I you have know, a I, I, I think you go right ahead. Huh? On the, uh, no means no. And, uh, uh, in my case, an abuser doesn't hear that. It nope. doesn't, it doesn't matter what you say. If they've got it in their mind, they're going to hurt you a certain way. They don't hear no. The only no, time, the only time he, he heard no was when he grabbed me by the jacket in Mexico and was dragging and pulling me around. And I looked him in the eye and I said, don't push me. And he let go. And that was it. And then he took off. But all the years before that, when we were dating, because um, we weren't dating at the time, we were just, uh, I was going to say friends, no, travel meets, whatever. Um, he didn't understand the word no when we were dating. Well, I think to, to, the woke society now is designed to, A, protect the, the bully. Really, the bully is protected. And most of us were young. When most of us were younger, if I, if I was a bad person, I bullied some, bullied some brother or some sister, some girl or big brother or whatever, being beat the out of me. And then I'd get it again when I went home. So the whole society has changed to, to protect the bully and not protect the victims. And uh, even the bystanders not protect the bystanders. So the bystanders take this attitude. I don't want to get involved because that guy's going to then stab me or go after my family or whatever. So... It, it really is a, a society, it's a, a cultural problem that we really should have kept in place from 200 years ago that if you fuck somebody up, you're going to get fucked up. It's that simple. And I, I don't understand why so many bystanders don't step in when they see it happening because I was ridiculed and attacked, if you want to use that word, um, in pu- all the time around friends and public. It didn't matter. It wasn't just at home. And in all those years, there was once that I had, um, I, we were at the racetrack and, uh, cause I used to, I super motor raced a motorcycle and I went to pick, it was time to pack up and I went to pick up this toolbox and I think the damn thing weighed more than I did. I couldn't even lift it up. And, um, 
one of the uh, fellow racers came over and he goes, here, I'll get that for you to put it on the trailer. And my boyfriend at the time, uh, he goes, leave it. She can do it. And my uh, co- uh, fellow racer looked at him. I hope I can say this. Looked at him and said, don't be such a dick. And that was the only time that somebody stood up for me, you know, in the moment that something was happening. Mm. Wow. So the bystanders don't step in all the time either, but I don't know why. Maybe they're afraid to get involved. They are. That's why. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, a lot of bystanders, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't really feel your pain. If you're not an empath or a person that has empathy, it doesn't bother you to see somebody get the shit kicked out of them. The injustice for people like probably all of us on this crew here, like I couldn't do it. Clearly, Mark couldn't do it. Uh, you know, Greg, uh, Jimmy, uh, Bry, you know, Pav, everybody. I, I, I think that some people just don't aren't wired to to think that they can make a difference or should make a difference. Like mind your own business. That's that's their attitude, and it's, it's terrible while somebody's getting the ass kicked off them. You know. I don't agree. Like, uh, like myself, myself, I, I've like, I'm going to be talking about it a bit later. I've been Mm. bullied most, I've been bullied most of my life. Mm -hmm. There isn't anything that somebody can do to me now that hasn't been done to me other than shoot me, other than shoot me in the face. But the, the, the thing is, is like, uh, I'll talk about it, but I was beat up to the point of being put in the hospital. Um, wow. mm-hmm. and, and the thing Same. is though, is if I saw something like that, I would say something I'm four feet fricking tall. I would say something and I've done it and it's scary as hell. The reason why people, um, don't say anything is because a, the, the, the main thing is it's their problem, not mine. It's it's all our problem. It's it's all our yes. problem. Like it's I agree. Like, yep. like like no offense, she can get her own way out. No, it, it, we all need help. Like when mm-hmm. I got beat up to the point of being put in the hospital, one person could have just stepped in and said, "Hey, don't beat on him," but yep. it didn't happen because they were they were like, "It's not my fault." It's not my thing. It's all our thing. It's everybody's mm-hmm. thing. If all of us who stand up against someone, whether it's a woman, a child, a, a midget, uh, anyone, someone with a handicap, if we all stood up when we saw somebody bullying somebody else, it would stop because yep. the majority of us out like outnumber them. And but we are afraid of we're not going to make a difference. I'm, it's just me. But as soon as you stand up, other people, it's it's like the domino effect. You stand up, other people yeah. will stand up. But you need that one person to stand up. So we all have to be that one person. Like, yeah. like that's the thing. You're a pay, everybody's afraid of being the first. And it's it's scary. Like it's, I've yeah, seen it so many, so many occasions where, you know, situations like that happen and it 
bothers me because mm-hmm. I was one of those situations. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. was and I was in high school after getting out of the hospital, seeing a girl with a Down syndrome being made fun of. I was the one that stepped up and said, you guys are going to stop her. I'm going to talk to the principal. Well, yeah, yeah, right. And I went and talked to the principal. Like, I, I was talking that to the captain. Beat up? No, that was, that was after I got beat up. Oh, I, I actually oh, had I the confidence to stand up for other people because yes, other people didn't stand up for me. And right. I'm like, I'm going to do it. Like, because like, I went in, like, what are you going to do? I was rushed to the hospital after the last time someone beat me up. Wow. Like, mm-hmm. I've been there, man. Okay, so I got a perfect analogy on this. I have an aunt, and uh, we'll call her uh, Jane for the sake of, the, of our, any argument. Or uh, I don't want, she doesn't want her name mentioned. She might be listening to this podcast. Who knows? But anyway, Jane had married, uh, let's say we'll call him Fred. And my uncle Fred, and I met him, and uh, I had experiences with him as a kid. You know, we go smelt fishing in Ontario and whatnot. And he was a mechanic at the local place in Ingersoll, Ontario. But make a long story short, Uncle Fred decided to beat on Aunt Jane one day. And I'd heard about it. And he did this for a long time. But then he realized that he could get away with it by emotionally abusing her. And he did that for years and years and years and years. I'd come for the visits and it, God, the house was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. You'd walk through the front door and uh, this is when the days of VHSs, but there was over 500 VHSs all piled up in, in the living room. It was like a maze that you had to walk through. And he, he'd say, Jane, give me this. And she'd go get him this, right? And the way she dressed, she worked for a hardware store. And the way she dressed, furniture store, pardon me, she was like dressed in three different types of clothing because he didn't want anybody, anybody to see any of her cleavage, nothing, like no skin. And it was like this for her whole entire life. Okay. They had two kids. I won't get into the abuse the kids had, but basically when he died, she made him a saint. I thought he was the biggest piece of shit in my life and for family. But she, to this very day, he was a saint. I'm glad he's dead. Okay. I, I truly am. Okay. If there's a hell, I'm sure he's in it. Okay. But that is a perfect example of how that can go and how women can be so demeaned over the years that they can never get out of it. And she never did. She never did. Yeah. That's the, that's the Stockholm syndrome, man. I, you know, you, you, you start to, believe your captives and it yeah uh that's right everybody else kind of knows my story with my sister i don't know if mark knows or not and i know jimmy doesn't know um my sister had a live-in boyfriend for several several years and he he pretty much had all the women in our family snowed all us guys in the family just kind of tolerated him because because he made Kelly happy, or so we thought, and uh, none of us liked him, though. And uh, it turns out, in hindsight, he'd been physically and mentally abuse, abusive to her the whole time. Um, July 22nd of 2013, late one night, this was after they had broken up and he had moved out. 
Um, he was there. I don't know the full story of why he was there at the house, but uh, he ended up shooting her nine times and killing her, and <laughs> took his took her cell phone, took pictures of her dead body with her cell phone, and texted them to several people that she worked with, and that's the only reason people finally figured out something was wrong, and uh, he ended up shooting himself once in the chest and killing himself. And, uh, yeah, but turns to, comes to find out that he'd been abusive to her. Um, so yeah, I, I know all too well what it's all about. That's awful. Well, I appreciate all your guys's input. Um, it's uh, it, it's an ongoing situation, and you're right. People need to stand up and say no. People need to um, intervene to the best of their abilities. People need to get more than one person and say, hey, come help me with this. We've got to get this to stop. Um, who knows? Maybe one day I will put that project together and start speaking at schools to maybe try and head off some of this bullying that just seems to be rampant still to this day and age. Um you know, I've experienced some of the same things that some of you have. I've been in the hospital. I've been busted up and, and bloody. I've been broken bones and, and skin torn off my body. I've had my, my face dragged through um, across the asphalt and into a, a steel fence. I've, I've been pulled through a fence and, and tore both my arms and, and my legs. Um, I've had some horrible things happen. And I... I I've come through it, but it has given me that demeanor where I will not stand by and, and I will be the one that, you know, whether I'm four foot or six foot, I'm going to stand up and say, no, that's not happening. And, and I hope that more people do. I, I hope people will start talking to people. Maybe people will hear this podcast and go, you know what? That's right. These guys are right. This, this, this is something that every one of us can do something about. It might not be your business, but it is everybody's opportunity to try and help make it stop. So if I can interject, is, what I would say, Oh, sorry. I, I was, was just going to say with that, it's points there. <laughs> and, and feel free. I'm going to, I'm going to drop the mic here in just a second. You can say whatever you need to. Um, when I finish here, I'll let you guys say your bit and then I got to roll. It's getting past a point of time. I've got a project going on in my garage. So um, go ahead, Jim, say your bit and then I'm going to roll out of here. Well, something you said resonated with me, and that is that you were talking. You were thinking about talking in schools or whatever, and I think I think uh, Jimmy might have been sort of saying a similar situation. But if a person was talking to a bunch of school kids, and if and kids are indoctrinated in so many negative ways right now, but if people were, if a lot of people were talking in schools that that indicated that bullies are the weaklings, that bullies are not the powerful people, and that. The, the people that are getting bullied can stop this and that the bullies are the insecure ones. And, and if the people would really make the kids believe that, then I think kids would fear bullies less. And I believe bullies might not want to be bullies if they're known as weaklings, if you know what I mean. I do. I get it completely. I've, I, I had a bully come up to me when I was at a bank machine and tried to accost me and everybody feared him and i was the i was just back from the military um i was not the kid that left old langford at that time i was a very different human being and he came up to me figuring that i was still that kid from grade nine 
and he had bullied a lot of people in that neighborhood. He was a drug dealer and he was a bad, bad person. Came up to me and uh, started to pull his routine on me. And I said, dude, we're right in front of the bank, man. There's people watching. You, you, you're not impressing anybody. And I said, and to, to tell you the truth, you're not the tough guy here anymore. Oh, yes, I am. You know, he put it bravado like crazy. And I grabbed him by the throat and I put him up against the wall and I lifted him off the ground by his throat and his crotch and said a few things to him that I can't say here. And I put him back down and I took his jacket off him and I tied it around his neck. Not tight or anything. I just tied it around his neck and I said, there's your tape. There's your cape, tough guy. And when the tough guy had six people looking at him and laughing at him, that was the last time he ever came anywhere near me. And it wasn't because I was tough. It's because I said no. And other people watched me say no. And then when he was standing there and had his opportunity to put his fists up and start something with me, and everybody was looking at him, all those eyes were on him, and they were laughing at the tough guy, it was over. And over forever. So you're right, Jim. It, it, there is an opportunity to show these people that the, the bullies aren't the tough guys. Nice. So, Very well right, said, Mark. I got a roll. And, uh, you guys have a great night. Go night, ahead, Mark. Brian. Always a pleasure to have you on, Mark. Always a pleasure. Okay, so right. when we get back, we're going to have Cruz and Corinne on. And her topic, uh, we lost David Soul recently. So anyway, this song, again, a classic from GM Blacktop on Highway Freaks. Your skin to the game. Most nights are lonely and long ones. We get accustomed to the pain. And we drive on through everything that comes our way. And we listen to the voice there in our veins. Oh, 
So tonight uh, I'll fill you in a little bit on David Soul and his his life, what he was, what he accomplished in in his life. Um, so it's kind of sad. Celebrity world is not off to a happy start again in 2024 with with the death of David Soul at the age of 80 on January 4th. The number one role that everyone still recognizes David for is as Ken Hutchinson or Hutch in the hugely popular action series Starsky and Hutch. David's character was the more level-headed, intellectual half of the partnership with David Starsky, played by Paul Michael Glacier. The show Starsky and Hutch was based around two Southern California plainclothes police detectives. They used their street smarts to bust criminals all over the fictional Bay City in California. The show ran for four seasons from 1975 to 1979 with a 72-minute pilot movie and then 92 50-minute episodes. Another very recognizable co-star and partner to Starsky and Hutch was the red and white souped-up 1974 Ford Gran Torino. One funny little blooper with the Torino was that the car was an automatic, but all the sound effects edited in made it sound like it had a standard transmission. David was born August 28, 1943 in Chicago, Illinois. The name he was born with was David Richard Solberg, spelled S-O-L-B-E-R-G. His mother, June, was a teacher, and his father, Dr. Richard W. Solberg, was a Lutheran minister, professor of histology and political science, and director of higher education for the Lutheran Church in America. David's family moved frequently when he was a child, going between South Dakota and Berlin. This gave him the opportunity to be fluent in German. David excelled at sports, especially baseball. At the age of 18, he was offered a professional baseball contract to play with the Chicago White Sox. He turned this offer down. Instead, he chose to accompany his family to Mexico City, where his father had accepted a professorship at Colegio Americano. During his time in Mexico City, David added Spanish to, to languages that he was fluent in. In Mexico City, David studied at the University of the Americas. It was there that he was inspired by the students to learn to play guitar. That was the turning point where David decided to pursue his passion for music as well. His acting and musical careers began in the mid-1960s. His singing career began as The Covered Man, where he wore a mask over his head, claiming he wanted to be known for his music. He made appearances on The Merv Griffin Show and released one single under this persona. Four months later, he decided to remove the mask and show his true identity. Over his musical career, David released five albums, seven compilation albums, and 17 singles. His highest achievement in the charts was for the single Don't Give Up On Us in 1976. He hit number one in many countries, including the U.S. and Canada. David had an extensive acting career starting in 1966 right through t until 2013. 
This included 15 films from 1971 through to 2013. Titles included Johnny Got His Gun, Magnum Force, Salem's Lot, Appointment with Death, Pentathion, and of course a cameo in the Starsky and Hutch film in 2004. It was interesting and maybe ironic that he was hired for a role in the anti-war movie Johnny Got His Gun. In his personal life, David was very involved in the anti-Vietnam War movement and had fought and was successful on not being drafted to military service. David starred in and had guest appearances in many, many television shows. This started in 1966 on I Dream of Jeannie until 2012 on Lewis. Other titles included Flipper, Star Trek, All in the Family, Salem's Lot, The Streets of San Francisco, The Yellow Rose, Murder, She Wrote, and as I mentioned earlier, of course, Starsky and Hutch. In 1994, David had had enough of Hollywood and left for Australia and New Zealand. Then it was off to Paris where he did a bit of acting and finally Britain where he continued his acting career. David had numerous projects on the go and fought for those who could not fight for themselves. Like in David's Dogs, he was fighting against dog meat trade in Asia. Or Me and The Productions, tackling issues that affected the globe. And another one that he had interest in was he called Cuban Soul, where he was determined to restore Ernest Hemingway's 1955 Chrysler New Yorker, um, and he had to deal with the roadblocks with the Cuban government when he was doing that. David was married five times, most recently to Helen Snell in 2010. He had six children, uh, made up of five sons and one daughter. Two of his marriages ended due to his excessive drinking and violent behavior, which he sought counseling for. David met his most recent wife in 2002 during a production. He wanted to spend the rest of his years living in Britain with Helen, so they married in 2010, and in 2014, David received his British citizenship. David faced many health issues and surgeries over decades of his life. He dealt with crippling back pain that was intensified by completing his own stunts. He had decompression surgery on his spine and prosthetic discs implanted in his neck. In an interview, he commented how he is in pain every day of his life and he just pushes through it. He also suffered, suffered nerve damage in his arm, which led to paralysis, resulting in his inability to play guitar and then eventually put him in a wheelchair. In 2017, after hip replacement, he slipped into unconsciousness and was in intensive care for 10 weeks. The doctors did not expect him to survive, but his will to survive along with treatments um, allowed him to pull through that battle. In the last years of his life, David suffered from COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and lung cancer, even though he quit smoking 15 years ago after being a smoker for 50 years. He praised and cherished his wife Helen for getting him through all of these health challenges that he faced. Um, while I was researching David Soul's life for, for this bio, I was shocked at how much he had done in his lifetime. Uh, I admit I'm, I'm probably like most people and immediately think of Starsky and Hutch and don't realize how many other uh, things he was in and involved in. Um, he definitely contributed so much with his acting, music, and projects that uh, he founded and was involved in. So I'm curious from the panel, do, did any of you watch Starsky and Hutch? Was it popular with you? And is there anything anyone has to add? Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, that was, a, that was me and my cousin's favorite. 
one of our favorite shows to watch. Um, we mm-hmm. used to we used to take an old CB radio that my dad had, and we'd put it in one of the cars and use it like a police radio and play Starsky and Hutch all the time. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely remember that great red and white car. Yeah. And, uh, it sounded like enough, the standard you know, was automatic. You know, you know, you've got a, a really cool show when when the Ford Motor Company makes a duplicate of your car and sells it real uh, exactly the same. You know, you've made an impact on the world when that shit happens. Yeah, that was a Torino, wasn't it? Yeah, Torino, yeah. The red, the red tomato. The red tomato is what it was called. The red yeah, tomato, I, really? <laughs> yep, that was the nickname of the car, and I uh, never heard that. Yeah, before. they did some. Oh yeah, no, that's that. That's it. You can you can uh, check the facts on it. But uh, the thing that I remember, weird as this sounds, but when we were at the high school dances, that song would always come on as a freaking ballad, and it was your opportunity to ask the new girl, uh, you know, in the class or whatever, to dance, and you know, don't give up us on honest baby or like a real sappy ballad, but mm-hmm. it. Going steady, necking and oh. necking and kissing. That's what oh, it was. You're talking about the other word. Sorry. I stand corrected. <laughs> Jimmy, Sorry, do you world. remember David Soul? I, I definitely remember David Soul, and he actually made an appearance in the remake uh, back. Was that in the t- early two thousands? At the very end. Uh, they both the original Starsky and Hutch made like in the movie. I can't remember who was in the movie. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller. Owen Wilson. And, and Owen, Owen, Wilson. Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Cause, yeah. Because they made an appearance at the very yeah. end. Yeah, that was and 2004. Gave, and they gave up the car to to them. That's right. Because they wrecked the correctly. car. They yeah. wrecked the car when it was when it went in way airborne onto the yacht of all crazy things. And then uh, they said, we don't got a car anymore. And then, yeah, David Soul and, and um, Paul Michael Glazer was in there at the very end. I do recall that now. And, and they were very apprehensive of giving them the car, but they ended up doing it. <laughs> wow. I used to like Huggy Bear. Oh, yeah, Huggy. Oh, old Huggy. Yeah, and then Snoop Dogg played Huggy Bear in the remake. <laughs> I remember yeah. that well. Oh. That that wasn't that wasn't a good pick for Huggy. No, no, I agree. Anytime you pick Snoop Dogg, there's that's just not a good pick. <laughs> In a cop movie. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. I don't know. I liked him. I liked him. So, okay, another great topic from you, Corinne, as well. You're our death bio girl, and uh, it's kind of a morbid thing, but uh, uh, well, maybe hoping, Jimmy will, will talk. I'm go hoping ahead. maybe I'll get to go back to uh, talking about travel again at some point. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's just hope nobody dies until yeah, the next exactly. Thursday. That's exactly. one way to look at it. Okay. Jim, I don't know if you guys know, but Jimmy does a thing called a celebrity death pool. Maybe he could tell you a little bit about it. it it's kind of morbid, but it's kind of funny. Uh, and okay. we were taught, we were going to talk about it on our, our eye opener interview, but it, unfortunately it got cut out, but I'll let Jimmy tell you a little bit about it. So, on the radio, we're very horrible people. We actually bet on celebrities dying, and 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 no, he wasn't on the list. 
but on our list. So what we do is we've done this for since we've been a show. And and the funny thing is is so we pick different celebrities that are sick or that we you know think will will pass away soon or may die or we want to die. Um Kanye West was on the list for a few years. But but what we do so then the winners actually uh they get the the winner doesn't have to go through the punishment. So right now for the celebrity death pool, I'm one of the losers. So we have to do a hundred push-ups every day uh for the month of January. It sucks. I'm really not in good shape unless round is a shape. Um but it's it's crazy. Like the celebrity death pool, like we like Locke bet on the entire royal family and he got he won and like for both uh, Queen Elizabeth and Prince uh Philip. And that's that's the right one. Um and but it's it's kind of morbid, but we have a lot of listeners that actually tell us celebrities that they think they're gonna die and but they're not always celebrities like they're not celebrities we want to die because like I currently have Michael J. Fox on my list and I love the guy, but I'm sorry. Uh, it's tell, make, Jimmy, make tell him horrible. some of the stunts. Tell him some of the stunts you've you've done, the crazy ass stuff that you guys have had to do. Okay. So Locke and I had to go vegan for a month. Don't do it, please. It's it's horrible. Um I had to drink boxed wine for an entire month. Uh I had to we did this thing called dog collar karaoke. So I had to sing karaoke. I had to sing Barbie Girl with one of those electrified dog collars on my neck. Oh. So if if I screwed up on the song at all, they zapped me. <laughs> and Grant had, and Grant had control of the zapper and he actually zapped me twice when I didn't mess up. I was and then, then he zaps you, and it's right on your vocal cords, so it throws off your voice, and then you screw up again because you don't have a voice. And every time I think about it, I get angry. Um, then then there was another time that we had to do uh, eat. The panties. you got to talk about the panties. I had to wear uh, women's panties for an entire week. And... <laughs> Yeah, but it wasn't even, and he bought them from Value Village, so, and they were really tight and and used and 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 oh, used. Still, at least they were new. Yeah. No, no, no. They yeah, were used. used. They were Value Village. Oh, Value God. Village. Okay, like, but here's here's the thing. I'm a stripper. I wear G strings, and these were actually more uncomfortable than wearing a G string. Uh. I would have much rather, and like it was, it was not good. Like so, we've done that. We've had to. Uh, I can't even remember all the stuff. Uh, Grant and I had to be bingo callers at, uh, at a seniors bingo. <laughs> I had a number of stuff there. I I can't even remember. We've had like fifteen rounds of this. And this is amongst your morning crew. Yes. 
I wore a G-string once, and I I thought I was going to be Mr. Casanova that night. And it wasn't until the next afternoon I was in the shower that that, a G, that G-string reappeared on the floor of the shower. So I don't know what has happened for to it for about eighteen hours. Is that oh, when wow. you were called GM Sexy Top? <laughs> yeah, GM Sexy Top. Yeah. Okay. G-string. Okay. G-string they, they, they used to call me Rooster. <laughs> All right. That was a good one, Greg. Thank you. All right. So anyway, we're going to go to a song. And then when we come back, Jimmy is going to tell you what's on his mind. Okay. So this is called Hell Came Down. Eight o'clock in the morning An ordinary day Busy people running Try not to be late The sun shines down from heaven No one stops to see Another day in Manhattan so it seemed Until hell came down Right out of heaven Hell came down In forty seconds Never thought we'd see the day Freedom turned the other way Left the whole world crying Together The day hell came down from heaven Tell me what's confusing about democracy Terrorizing people Just because they're free A baby cries Her father dies A senseless tragedy the Tears just won't stop falling Down on liberty the day hell came down Right out of heaven Hell came down In forty seconds Never thought we'd see the day That freedom turned the other way Left the whole world crying well, that was Hell Came Down. I actually wrote that uh, the day of 9-11. I remember it distinctly as I was watching the television starting from about 8.30 in the morning. I was watching all this shit unveil on the television. I'm sure we all saw that at some point. 
Anyway, I wrote that song in about eight minutes, and it's all about the 9-11 disaster and about how democracy was challenged and whatnot. So that's what that song's called, is Hell Came Down, because that's what I believe people were watching when they were, you know, watching the situation, especially live, and especially if they were there. They were watching hell coming down from heaven. So that's what the song was about. So the question I have for everybody is, what was everybody doing on the morning of 9-11? Start with uh, Greg. Well, yes, I was watching. Um, I had actually just gotten back to bed not long, well, maybe an hour and a half or so before it happened. My mom woke me up and she said, turn on the news. And I said, what channel? And she said, it does not matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this was just before the first building came down. And... Uh, when that came down, of course, I was I was a firefighter at that time, so right. I was basically watching 343 of my brothers die. Right. Also, my dad was in the air flying to Florida while it was all happening, so we didn't know wow. for a couple of hours if he was even alive. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a scary place to be in your mental state at that point. How about yeah, you, and he, and he, you he, Oh, sorry. He had no idea what was... He finally... He finally called. The phone rang, and I could tell it was a, it was a, it was a area code from down there at Florida. And I thought, you know, well, either this is him calling, saying that he's there, or it's the plant down there calling, saying, well, we don't know where he's at. But he had no idea what was going on. Yeah, just it was just a usual like work day for me. I was getting ready for work and everything, and then ended up being glued to the TV. And to the radio and everything all day. Wow. How about you, Jimmy? That's kind of a crazy story. It actually kind of links into my story that I'm going to tie into in a minute. I okay. used to work. I used to work with a little person basketball team. They were called the Canadian Half Pints, and we used to go to schools and talk to kids about bullying, and wow. and we used to do like a. Uh, it it was like a. Harlem Globetrotters, but a bunch of little people, and it was comedy basketball. And at that on that time, we were up at about four o'clock in the morning. We were at the uh, at, it was a channel at the time. We did an interview, and we were talking about all the stuff that we do on our show. And then we all piled back to the hotel. It was four o'clock in the morning. Who gets up that early? I do now, but um. So we were in bed, and our boss kind of comes bursting into our room, going, "The world is coming to an end. It's it like stuff's going down." We did. He turns on the TV again, any channel, and we're like, "Wow!" Like like we were in Winnipeg. I remember exactly my first thoughts when I woke up in the like when we woke up, and the boss said, "You got to see what's going on." And when we came on, it was when the second building was hit. And it was crazy. But, like, what resonated for me was just the whole fact that we were there trying to do good and make positive changes in in the world, and then all this negative stuff happened. It was brutal. How about you, Brian? Brian, what were you doing? 
I remember that so vividly. Uh, I was the Schwann's man. This is what got me into trucking guys, driving those big Schwann's trucks, those big Brink trucks. That's what they're like. They were like a Brink's truck. And I was at a hotel in Troshu. I was waiting to uh, finish my route, and uh, the weather wasn't great. So I decided that uh, I turn on the TV. And then I saw that on the TV, and I was like, wow. And then I first my, my first call was to uh, my wife, and my stepdaughter answered the phone. And I, I tell her, hey, I said, you're not going to believe this. I said, the planes just hit the World Towers, uh, you know, uh, the two towers in, in New York City. And she goes, no, come on. Because we were notorious for playing jokes on one another. And she goes, oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one, Bri. I said, no, no, turn on the TV. She goes, really? I said, turn on the TV. So she turned on the TV. She goes, oh, my God. And then, you know, Terrell saw it as well. And, and uh, you know, everybody's just like, oh, my God, the world's going to end. And she said, where are you? And I was telling her. and. But yeah, I remember that so clearly. Yeah, well, that's what it is. It was a it was a horrifying situation. So anyway, that was just a little. I think uh, uh, Pav, are you back yet? Yep. There okay. Go. Pav, GM's got back. a question for you. I have a question for you, Pav. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. So yeah, we just, uh, just we just I'll give you an intro to it. We just we just played the song "Hell Came Down," and I was saying that that was a song about the nine eleven disaster. Uh, and I had wrote that the same morning of that that disaster. And I oh, went around the, the crew and I asked everybody what they were doing when they heard about 9-11. So I was interested to know, because I believe at that time you'd have been in India and you might have been very young. Then. How did I was the like, country... Of- bro, I was like one year old. You know, I didn't oh, okay. know about that thing. But- okay, so then just after that, then, let's say when you started to understand things, uh, how did the country of India handle that event? Did they treat it with tremendous horror or was it not such a big deal over in india it was scary to be honest with you because when did like my father he's a teacher okay so he's the one who goes to a government school and teach kids and he was the one who was talking about all these things in the house so i was pretty like as a kid it was scary to even like think about right like a big plane crashing in a building and all so in the schools and all it was kind of like uh how can i say they were all giving their, just like it was, it was not a good thing to hear at that moment. And coming from a brown guy, it was a little ashamed for us as well because the shit happened and most of the thing was blamed on the, oh. the shit, right? So even though I'm sick and all, but it was not good to like hear that incident. It was really bad, man. Wow. So yeah. you, you may say you felt racism based on that? So yeah, most of the time that kind of incidents was the one that shaped the beginning and oh. you know? yeah. Especially with the, some of the guys coming from Canada too, right? So that would have yeah. even made it worse. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. I see that. There you go. I wanted to get your perspective on it. You yeah. Know, sorry, just... man. I'm, I'm just sick, so that's why I'm not talking too much. I'm just around the corner. But you know, whenever you guys need me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll turn this back to the. The boss, Bri, what's your next what's next on your agenda? Well, we're gonna play the real McCoy from one of your newest songs, Jim. And then uh, we're gonna have James P. Whites from Cruise FM Edmonton coming on talking about his passion project. So here it is on Highway Freaks.
school Mama taught me about love and manners Elvis taught me to be cool Well, it didn't take long till my hair got long That's risky for a minister's boy Not like the way I look My buddy, I'm the real McCoy I spent 12 years in a semi-truck Hauling ass up and down the road I learned the ways of a gypsy man I got whipped and stripped and bowed And I've seen the sun from every coast And I damn sure made some noise Just can't touch it burns from the soul inside You can't hide behind a wallet Or what you wanna call it It's sitting there in his eyes Show me Now I took some pain for my crazy ways I burned a few bridges too And I've turned my back on fools I've been drugged to mud Spit out blood Thought when I've had no choice It may not like the way I've been My buddy, I'm the real McCoy There's something about a man That you just can't touch It burns from the soul inside You can't hide behind a wallet Or what you want to call it You're sitting there in his eyes You see there's something about a man that you just can't touch It burns from the soul inside You can't hide behind a wallet Or what you want to call it You're sitting there in his eyes When you look in the mirror Might get clearer, remember the preacher's boy. Can you say I like the way I am? Hey, I'm the real McCoy. Again, my name is uh, James P. White. I actually work on 95.7 Cruise FM. I'm on the morning show in uh, Edmonton. It's uh, I, I love being in radio. And the best part about being in radio is one of my greatest passions is uh, dealing with bullying. Uh, I was bullied extensively as a kid. I was... Um, I don't even want to get into it. It's it's like we've been dealing a lot with bullying, but what I what I love to talk about is how we can end bullying. There's only one way, and that's to inform people. So uh, at Cruise FM, we actually have this thing going on on Pink Shirt Day, which is February 28th. It's going to be an online. We have an online panel. This is our third year doing it. I've done. Uh, discussions uh, dealing with uh, bullying uh, for the last about 10 years talking to schools on how we can nice. end bullying 
And the best thing with it is with the pink shirt day, like what we're uh, dealing with right now is we do a panel like right now. I do have a celebrity coming on. It's not confirmed. And so I'm not going to say anything to jinx it, but it's going to be huge. And, and then I have people from kids help phone on vol involved. If you don't know what kids help phone does is they are a, uh, they're an organization that if you are dealing with bullying or even if you are a bully and you want to figure out how not to like figure out what, uh, what you can do, or even as a bystander, how you can help other people go to kids help phone. They, uh, they have a website. It's kids I believe I should know this, but, um, but with that is, so we are dealing with them and we talk about bullying and how we're going to have a counselor on and how they help people deal with it. Because if, even if you're not bullied, you can help people that are bullied, whether it be help them stand up to a bully, or even if you just were there for them. If you were that friend for someone that was being bullied, being ridiculed, being uh, torn down, you can help give them strength. That's what helped me. I was bullied. I was put in the hospital. I uh, like, I had to have a procedure done, and it was supposed to be done at the end of the summer, but I got beat up to the point that I had to have brain surgery done during school. And... A couple of things happened. One, one of the guys that were involved in beating me up realized what he did. And within, he apologized and we actually became friends. Uh, we became friends until I moved to Edmonton 20 years ago and then we just kind of lost contact. But there, sometimes people think that when they are a bully, they're just being funny. They're just that, you know, if you do the fake laugh or if you shrug it off, that they're not hurting people. That sounds weird, but that's sometimes what people think, is they're just trying to make people laugh, even if it is at other people's expense. And it's it's not good. I'm not justifying it. The thing is, is doing something like this educates people. and not only does it educate like with what we're doing with this panel, not only does it educate us as people that have been bullied or people that bully the teachers that see it and may not recognize or just, Oh, they're just being kids or even parents. They see the signs of what is happening and then they can go, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. So it's educating all levels. And the only way to um, battle this is education. It, it doesn't matter if you're an adult, if you're a kid, if you're anything like that. If you have been bullied, there's a couple of things you need to know. One, it's not your fault. You are not to blame. And, and also, 
you are not alone. That's our big theme with this is you are not alone. So you can talk to people, talk to your friends, call kids' help phone, talk to your teachers, talk to your family. And it's has nothing to do with who you are. It's other people's problem. And that's what we do. I have, over the years, I have heard from people that used to get bullied, that hear that, that they feel better. And they're able to go to their friends and go, hey, I'm being bullied by John. Just throwing a name out there. Um, I need your help. And then all of a sudden, you're with another friend. And now John's outnumbered. Because the more you talk to people, whether it be your friends, your family, your teachers, it will show the world that you're not alone. And it will help you to realize you're not alone. And kids' help phone, it's very important for young people. And it will help people as they get older. So when you are an adult being bullied, uh, yeah, there are resources for you. But if you get this at this young of an age, it will help everybody. And anyone who's listening to this podcast who wants to be involved in this uh, this event on the 28th send me an email i'm going to put my email right here it's james at 957 cruisefm.ca and it's it's going to be live but we will also have a a, a link for you to see it if you can't sh- uh, show up at on the uh, 28th at uh, 11 a.m like it, you will be able to see it but it's a powerful thing, and the only way to deal with this is with education and people together. James, can I ask you a question? Okie dokie. Okay, okay, this is my question. Your bullying would be, I don't know if you want to use I don't know if magnified the right word but it was definitely a unique type of bullying that that none of us would ever have experienced just because uh, we're no, not 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 really it was all no, physical it was all it well, was no, all physical yeah but what i'm getting at is this because as long as i can remember even as a kid back watching wrestling back watching movies back watching this and that they always depicted comedy around the midgets. So my question is, do you think that the culture, and I'd be interested to see if they do this, if they did this in India too, but do you think that the culture, the North American culture, set little people up to be bullied by the the media, the movies, the the movie business, the wrestling business? Do you think that they set people up to to be bullied because they were small? Do you, do you actually think not, that there was a not at all, not at no, all? I, I did, like there are a lot of little people that think that way, but I'm not that uh, because okay. because the thing is is I was bullied because I was the weaker link. I was I bullied see. because I looked like I was an easy target. I, I was bu- I was bullied because they were telling me that I wasn't like anybody else, like everybody else. 
but my my family told me I was like everybody else. Right. So so I fought them on, oh, you're different because you're short. No, I'm not. I'm just short. And yeah, that's yeah. why I was bullied. Like you can have all this um like the stuff about the the movies and how they uh, showed little people, but in this in the same aspect, if you if you look at it that way, you have you have comedians, you have slapstick comedy, yeah, you have all these different comedians that are normal sized, that are white or whatever, that are different, that are that are being made fun of in movies, right? Then then all people would be bullied because all people are like it doesn't matter your size whether you're a giant like even like Andre the Giant he in his uh, in his movie uh oh, what was it Princess Bride he came across as a dumb character like he was like right oh, like let's open a peanut so so yeah, yeah. and he's so he wouldn't have been bullied because he was portrayed as being dumb or giants wouldn't be. It was because I'm a weaker like It's because I was an easy target. I'm mm -hmm. not an easy target anymore because right. you can't, you can't make fun of me because I won't let you, because I make fun of me better than you do. Like, like, like I have, I have people come up with, Hey, why don't you, why don't you, uh, walk in high heels and do a contest. This I actually did for, a radio station I worked for. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make it even funnier. And I was in total drag. I wore a mini skirt. I had a bikini top. I had a horrible wig. I couldn't even walk on, 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 on these things, but I did it for the funny because right. I, because I have in me the ability to take the power of other, other people making fun of me because I do it myself. If you're going to like in the movies when they're you're laughing at a little person dressed as as a clown that's actually a good thing because because that person wearing that costume isn't doing it because he's forced to. He's doing it because he wants to make people laugh. If we can make people laugh that's a good thing. And and, and, Brian, and Brian, you know he's changed his ways because in the first five minutes of meeting me, he actually told me he wanted to beat the shit out of me. Remember? I still do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but okay, does, I, I would buy tickets to that. I, I, I trust me. I'd, all I'd have to do is headbutt him in the nuts once, and he'd be good. Um, <laughs> but uh, but deal. Okay, so. Oh, but let's not go. let's not have me start bullying you now. But let's actually uh anybody else have any comments on what I said? I'll tell you you're you're completely right about taking I guess taking your life back from them. Um in grade school and junior high, yeah, I was picked on all the time. I was the punching bag in school. Because I was I was small and I was scrawny and I was I was the weak link, you know, because I was I was pretty smart even though I had dyslexia. But uh, I had one guy in junior high that that just made my life so miserable. I actually became a hypochondriac, so I wouldn't have to go to school. And uh, 
I finally, I think it was about, it was 10th grade maybe, I left public school and went to a private school. And that's about the time I hit my growth spurt and, and got up to about six foot and so forth. And we were off school one day for some reason and, and the public school was still, was still in. And so I thought I would drive over there and I would see some of my teachers that I liked and I'd see the principal and so forth people that I liked in school and some of my friends. So I parked, I walked in the front door and it was, a, it was at lunchtime. So everybody's mulling through the, mulling through the hallways. And I see that guy walking down the hallway toward me and something in me just something clicked. And as I was walking by, I made sure that he was on my right side as we were, as I was walking by him, I balled my right fist up and I laid his ass out flat in front of everybody. <laughs> and I mean, everybody was just in this, had this shocked look on their face. Like, who the hell is this guy? You know, I just walked straight down the hall, went out the back door, walked around the outside of the building, got in my car and left. And I have to this date, I have been like you, Jimmy. I, I just, if somebody wants to make fun of me for some reason, I'll just, I'll laugh in their face and say, yeah, whatever. Have a nice day. Well, I can add something to that. Uh, when I was bullied, and I think I told you this, Jimmy, on our eye-opener interview, but I was in grade five. And for some reason, just this group of kids didn't like me. And um, I think it was because I had a girlfriend at that time. And I think it was more of a jealousy factor. But anyway... I had uh, had left recess, re recess and uh, gone to the store, bought a bunch of, you know, pop and chips and candy and mojos and that sort of thing. And we were going to have a party after class. And I ended up writing lines and that kind of sucked. So my girlfriend was down there with all the bullies. And when I got there, they were making fun. You know, Brian, you know, he's got a girlfriend and, you know, singing, you know, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, that sort of thing, that old song. And um, I always thought, well, if you've, your girlfriend has to fight your battles, she's probably not going to be your girlfriend for very long. And, and she wasn't. But anyway, that's kind of what happened. And then I started running home from school. And this would carry on literally every Friday. I would literally do the 500-yard dash from the school back to my house. And one day I just said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And um, we used to have a terminology called rangy. That's if uh, a retarded person um, would fight somebody, they would they would be you know all arms and legs and stuff, and uh, they uh, they they compared me to a retarded person, saying yeah Brian had a rangy on this guy Joey that day, and after that just nobody goes holy geez that guy must like he must be retarded he had these rangies right and it's, they told it's, rangies. It, it stopped the bullying now now i'm not trying to pick on the retarded people don't get me wrong or mentally challenged i'm just saying that in comparison it stopped the bullying because they referred to me at that point as a mentally challenged person and then they didn't want to bully me anymore you know where that rangy came from it's a that's it's a depiction of how an orangutan would fight yeah Oh, I didn't even know that. That's why they. That's why they call it Rangi. You ever see the movie Every Which Way But Loose? That orangutan yes. with those big long ass arms. So if yes. you were, if you were flailing around like an orangutan, that's the reason they call it Rangi. The only, the only part of bullying that I ever saw, which was terrible, was and this is a true story. 
a friend of mine, name was Mike. We were like seven or eight years old. It was at the park and these bullies came over and we were in this gravel area and these three guys grabbed this guy and they gave him, they, they pulled his, undid his pants and pulled his pants down and opened up his underwear at the back. And they stuffed like literally seven, eight handfuls of gravel in his shorts and then gave him the worst gaucho you can imagine. And this poor guy was pulling pebbles out of his ass for like two hours. That's the worst I ever saw. Uh, I've had worse. I was stuffed in a garbage, uh, one of those Rubbermaid garbage cans rolled down a flight yep. of stairs. I wow. was, uh, I had a, I had a guy grab me by my ankles. This was, I'm still to this day afraid of heights. Um, wow. he grabbed me by my ankles, lifted me up over the railing on the third floor so I could see the first floor. Jesus um, Christ. And oh. But here's here's the thing. I never I've I've only resorted to violence since then once and that's just when someone pulled a knife on me. But he tried to rob me, but that's a totally different story. But but the thing is though is one thing I've learned is the best way to defuse a situation is to either laugh or make other people laugh. I'll, I'll I'll give you an or or inadvertently or it or do it on purpose and just make it look like an accident. Uh, embarrass them. Uh, like like I had one guy come up to me and it was actually a couple years ago. Say uh, I was lippy and he said, "You know I can kick your ass." And I'm like, "I know you can. It's only two inches from the floor." Um, and and he goes, "What would you say if I kicked your ass right now?" Ouch! Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and then I turned to him and go, "Look, how tall are you?" And he goes, "I'm six foot two. And I'm like, "I'm four foot." How do you think all these people are gonna think of you with the fact that you're six foot beating the shit out of a four foot person? Right. And he goes, and he goes, "Oh, you reframe the event." Uh, don't no, I did. But he's he's like it would be funny, and I'm like, but what if, <laughs> what if I knew how to defend myself, and you attacked me and I beat the shit out of you? What do you think people are gonna think then? Um, that I'm a bitch. <laughs> a uh, little bitch. Yeah, if if I kicked your ass, I'm not saying I can, but what if I could? Where are we going to go now? He's like, have a good day. Well, I at probably least he got off with that. You told me you would kick my ass. But the thing, but the thing is, I probably could because I've been. <laughs> but but I'll tell you, I'll I'll tell you why. I have been defending myself against tall yeah. people all my life. Right. When have you when have you fought a four foot tall person? Never. If you well, did, did, they I were did. they were seven. That's doll. called child abuse. <laughs> like because that's the thing. I, I'm in my comfort zone when I'm able to fight someone. Uh, like right. because I know all the targets. I know where you're going to go. First thing you're going to go for is my head or grab my head. And then I punch you in the nuts 
or take out your knees. <laughs> like, like I had a like I I said earlier, I had a guy who uh, attacked me with a knife. He actually lunged and attacked me with a Jesus a, a knife. Uh, he wanted all my money. I didn't have any, so I pushed the knife out of the way, jumped up, stomped his knee, broke it. Um, I didn't have a cell phone back then. I walked over to the payphone, called the police, waited there, uh, and he was charged because of attempted robbery, and he had an illegal knife and all this stuff. And he said to the police officer, he goes, um, I want to charge him with assault because he broke my knee. And the police officer turned to me and said, please don't be offended. I need to say something. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, listen, you're going to jail for all these different charges. If you actually want to charge him with assault, it's going to court and it's going to be public. Do you really want people that you're going to be in jail with to know that you just got the shit kicked out of you by a midget? And right. another thing, another thing, GM, Jimmy wrestles for real, for real. He does. I, he oh, does. really? You got your knee that? Oh, that's cool. I like, I, like I do the uh, professional wrestling. My uh, wrestling name, I have two of them. One of them, one of them is Giant Jim, and the other one is Little Juan. Uh, it's, uh, oh, that's cool. I'd like to see some of that. That'd be awesome. And just so you know, Jimmy, I don't want to fight you, so I'm prepared to allow you to extort me. I am definitely willing to give you lunch money for one month. <laughs> no, I just, just I don't want your money. Okay, okay. I just so want just, to beat the shit out of you. I, yeah, but I, 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 uh, 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 this is, uh, uh, this is hilarious. Going okay, if so we're going we're going a little off topic here. So I think we're yes, we're we kind of done. I think okay. we're done on my that, end. That was awesome. That was awesome. Um, can we can was, we get GM and Jimmy in the wrestling ring? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have I'd a pay, chance. Yeah, that for that. that would be pay per view history. The only way that I could win a wrestling match with Jimmy is if he took a hold of my six foot body and twisted me up like a pretzel so far that I could bite my own balls and then the shit would fly. <laughs> wow. I, well, I did tell you, that, Jimmy, sometimes this goes off the rails. I, oh, I, I'm starting to I catch on. Sometimes I know. On. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna play some more uh, GM on Highway Freaks.
our shoes and jumped on in Acting like a couple of teenage kids Looking at falling in love for kicks The sun went down and so did I I took a little trip in Okay, so again, this is uh, James P. White, and we're going to bring uh, Brian back on, and he's going to take over from here. Thanks, James. That's that was awesome. That was that right. was really good, and we're looking yeah. forward to hear you uh, again on a future podcast. And uh, go get some sleep because Jimmy does get up early in the morning. All right, hey, Jimmy. I'll send you an email if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Just don't cyber stalk me. Uh, <laughs> I won't. Oh, thanks, right. James. thanks for coming on, Jimmy. It, it was nice meeting you all. Nice and I'm not going to ask you to take your clothes off either, so don't even worry about that. I'm oh, a good guy. No, I wouldn't take okay. my clothes off for you. Okay. Left hands. Bye now. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. Bye. Okay. All right. So um, the other night I watched a great movie called The Finest Hours. Uh, Chris Pine's in it. You can get it on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I think you can probably get it on Netflix, Amazon Prime. It's a great movie. It's an older movie, but it's based on a true story. And it's the true story behind the U.S. Coast Guard's most daring sea rescue. And when I go through this with you, you'll understand why it was just an insane rescue that turned out really good. Now, back in 1952, an astonishing maritime event occurred. A ferocious nor'easter winter storm split in half two 500-foot-long oil tankers, the SS Pendleton and the Fort Mercer, which is approximately one mile off the coast of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Incredibly, just 20 miles away, the Fort Mercer also split in half. Like, how coincidental is that? Two tankers split in half. On both tankers, men were trapped 
on the severed bows and sterns and all four sectionals, uh, sections of the ship were sinking in 60-foot seas. Thus began a life-and-death drama of survival, heroism, and a series of tragic mistakes. Of the 84 seamen aboard both tankers, 70 would be rescued and 14 would lose their lives. So it all started on February 18, 1952, when the Coast Guard station in Chatham, Massachusetts, got word of the disaster. The SS Pendleton, a World War II-era oil tanker carrying kerosene, had been split in half at sea. The other, the Fort Mercer, had split in two, and the most experienced seamen at that station had already been dispatched to help with the first distress call. Bernie Weber was the first coxswain left at Chatham Coast Guard Station and was asked to assemble a crew of volunteers to attempt the second rescue. Weber, he ignored the warnings from local, uh, the fishermen, to take a safer, more roundabout route to meet up with the SS Pendleton. He figured he could save time by motoring his 36-foot wooden motor lifeboat through the deadly Chatham Bar, a vortex of waves and currents just off the coast. Snow was driving almost horizontally. Okay. Now, you'll get a good ride if you go across it, Mel Guthrow, who was Weber's engine man at the fax, said. Uh, it was Guthrow who was at the U.S. Coast Guard Station on the day of the storm, but he was too sick to go on the mission. I'd never crossed the weather like that, ever. It was an isolated case, he says, of passing the bar. So Bernie was ordered by his commanding officer to go out that night and see what they could do. Despite warnings stating it was plain suicide from local fishermen that he was crazy to do such a thing. Andy Fitzgerald was the only volunteer that was excited to attend his first really big rescue, and he definitely wanted to be on that boat. Fitzgerald would normally have been selected under normal circumstances. He was the least experienced engine man at the station and was only chosen due to Guthrow's illness. Despite being fresh out of training, Fitzgerald managed despite the fact that he didn't know how to repair the engine. So he actually repaired the engine twice, effectively saving the mission. Bernie Weber, Andy Fitzgerald, and two other crew members, Richard Livesey and Irvin Maskey, were the unsung heroes on board. They all battled waves that were cresting close to 70 feet, blinding snow, hurricane-force winds, and below-freezing temperatures. I was very cold and very wet, Fitzgerald recalled. Across the Chatham Shoal Bar, the CG-36 boat rolled over twice. I remember when we got to the bar, a large wave hit us and lifted me about four feet in the air, and ironically, I landed back where I'd been sitting. The engine had stalled several times, and the youngest crewman, Andy Fitzgerald, crawled down into the compartment for a repriming, but became severely burned in the process. If it wasn't for the freezing temperatures, the burns might have actually gotten worse. And if it wasn't for the experienced helmsmanship of skipper Bernie Weber for keeping the 36-foot skiff from being swamped and would sink, it would surely would have at the Chatham Bar. When I saw half of the enormous split tanker, and then I saw the 30 or more people up on the rail, my first thought was, how are we ever going to get them all in our boat? Plus, it was 30 feet above where the 36-foot was floating beside the tanker. Immediately, a rope ladder was thrown over the side of the tanker, and the rescue began. Some men were jumping off the deck about 70 feet into the raging sea waters. So Weber picked up all of them as going back to the rescue to 20 men was going to be complete suicide. You see, the 36-foot lifeboat was only regulated to take 12 in the best of conditions. They crammed all 32 men on that boat, walloping up, walloping up to the gunwales. 
So that was down below. They were hanging over the sides. Bernie truly didn't think he could maneuver over the shoal bar again, especially without a compass to guide them. In the words of Bernie Weber, he recalls the events that went on that night so vividly. He questioned once again his commanding officer as they approached the bar on seemingly extreme challenging conditions. Even Weber himself had begun to rethink his suicidal mission. Proceed as directed, the radio dispatch came back. Going over the bar, a massive wave stood like a menacing behemoth. The first wave was like running into a stone wall. It crashed down, spun us around, and set us back into the harbor. Then I turned us around and tried it again, he said. The storm then smashed the CG-36500 with a breaking wave that drove solid green water over the skiff. The impact shattered the glass in the windshield and wrenched the compass right off its mount. In fact, Orleans resident and shipwreck author William Quinn, Weber's best friend, said he still has tiny glass fragments embedded in his face from that exploding windshield. Once past the bar, Weber remembered that while the seas became taller, it was at least manageable since they were very farther apart. Winds gusting to 60 to 70 miles per hour that night, pitch black darkness, snow and sleet pelting all of us in search of a ship we didn't see. The only thing I had in my mind is that it was like being in a black hole, Weber recalls. Something was out there. He turned the boat into the seas, heading east, hoping to catch a glimpse of the Pollock Rip lightship so he could get his bearings. Some of the waves were breaking over us. Some weren't. It was like climbing up a hill when you can't see the top, Weber said. About that time, you think the old 90 horsepower was going to crap out again and throw you back. Suddenly, you were on top of the wave. Then you were sliding down it, and I had to put the engine in reverse, he said. You see, the 36-foot boat was traveling so fast down the backside of the wave, it would have buried its bow in the bottom trough and would sink. Then it could have flipped over if Weber hadn't slowed down the descent. Ironically, he never saw the light ship, and he had no idea how long he headed east into the darkness among the huge waves. Time is a funny thing. I was working for the Lord, Weber said. Then in complete pitch darkness, Weber heard rumbling and crashing of a new set of waves, but he knew it was the other moving half of the SS Pendleton. At first, they saw no lights, but as they rounded the stern, they saw the dim glow of deck lights and one man at the rail waving his arms. For cripes sakes, all this way for one man, Weber thought to himself. But then someone threw a Jacob's ladder to the pitching boat correctly, landing on the slippery deck where the Coast Guard crewmen snagged them. Then they would bring them to safety in the covered four-wood cockpit and stern engine compartment. Others missed jumping into the boat and felt, fell into the sea. But the determined Weber's crewmen managed to grab them in those waters, somehow lifting them up to safety. One of my guys would grab a hand just in time, and they fling him on board like a tuna. They were miracle workers, he said. Except for one man, unfortunately. Pendleton crewman George Tiny Myers, a 300-pound seaman who helped others to safety, fell into the raging waters from the ladder. Weber was trying to maneuver the boat into position at the stern of the Pendleton as the three-foot propeller blades were brought up to half the tanker so close. I had sight of him. I eased the boat in. There was also no headroom. Suddenly, the sea came up from behind, throwing the boat forward, he remembered. The lifeboat didn't stop, and Myers was trapped between the tanker's hull and the lifeboat. Weber had jammed the motor in reverse and gave it full throttle. It hit him. He exploded like a bomb. He was gone, and I was gone. It really took the wind out of me. I tell you that, Weber said softly, as tears running down his face. So after rescuing 32 men and literally jamming 
every possible man on that 36-foot lifeboat, Weber left the Pendleton, beached itself as fast as they departed. Ernie put the waves astern with no radio, no compass, realizing the CG 36500 would probably beach itself at Cape Cod or Monomoy, and how they would cross the awesome Chatham Bar again was anybody's guess. However, the universe dictated that night that Weber and his survivors would not go through the same fate as before. Weber sadly suddenly picked up a blinking red light. Unsure what it was thought at first, it was a beacon on top of the RCA radio towers on shore. But then it was close to the lifeboat, and when the boat's searching light hit it, he realized it was the red boy inside the Chatham bar. It meant Weber, his crew, and the surviving men of the SS Pendleton would soon be safe ashore. Weber then radioed in his position to the Coast Guard station and got a quick response. He told them of his cargo and asked for help at the nearest fishing pier at his location. A large crowd of people were on hand to help the rescued seamen and the exhausted Coast Guard crew. Their ordeal of mass proportions was over, but Weber's memory stayed strong up until his death at age 80 in January of 2009. It's interesting to note that Guthrow had fallen asleep by the time Weber and his crew returned that following day. Early in the morning, I came downstairs, and there were all kinds of people sleeping and laying on the station floor who I knew must be the survivors, he said. The owner of the nearest clothing store had donated clothes to the outfit them in dryer uh, garments. Since the story of the Chatham Station Daring Rescue, the U.S. Coast Guard has implemented many changes in its aftermath. Number one, they would never send another small boat out in that kind of storm again. Ironically, those four men did not feel they were heroes of any kind, as they were just happy to have jobs and helping people in such impoverished times back then. They felt it was their jobs to save people and nothing more. But the U.S. Coast Guard had other ideas on the heroic rescue. Boatswain's mate, first class, Bernard C. Weber, U.S. Coast Guard, EN3 Andrew Fitzgerald, SN Richard Livesey, and SN Irvin Maskey for the rescue of 32 crewmen of the T2 tanker SS Pendleton on February 18, 1952, all awarded the Gold Life-Saving Medal and the Silver Life-Saving Medal of Honor, decorated by the U.S. Coast Guard. Today, there's only two remaining crew members. Bernie Weber, not including himself, remain alive. Andy Fitzgerald and Mel Guthrow are the ones that actually have 21 grandchildren now between them. Irvin Earl Maskey passed away October 7, 2003 at age 74. Richard Livesey, December 26, 2007 at age 77. And Bernie Weber lost just recently. Nonetheless, I feel this story is not only compelling, but I strongly feel these four men should get to have their story told in their finest hours. Anybody got anything to add to that? What was the name of the movie? I'd like to see that. It's called The Finest Hours. Okay. I'm anxious there, to see that. There And I would say it's probably GM. I'm going to say at least 80% uh, true. Uh, there wow. is 20% that they changed a little bit. And they changed yeah. it because, you know, they wanted to make it a bit of a rom-com as well, right? Like it right. was, uh, there was, there uh, or I shouldn't call it a rom-com. I should call it a romantic drama because there was some comedy, but for the most part, it was more like a romantic drama. Like it shows his wife and, you know, it, it goes to show how he met his wife and it, there's a little more. I won't go into the end. I won't spoil it for you, but it is really well done. Really well done. Anybody yeah. seen it on the panel? I, I don't think, think I have. Is that think... on Netflix? Yep. Okay. No, then I haven't seen it because I don't get Netflix. So I'll tell you a movie okay. that I'm surprised a movie that hasn't 
been made is about the Edmund Fitzgerald. It, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good call, Greg. That's a really yeah. good call. And, and you know what? I'm you know because you did mention it, and you know I'm famous for this or infamous for this. I'm going to nominate you to talk about that topic on the next podcast. How's that sound? I can do that. I love that song. Okay, perfect. Perfect. And by the way, speaking of podcasts, I will let you know right now, um, due to the fact that Bry Guy bought a truck and uh, he's the one that kind of foots the bill with this, with his business partner, uh, Pav, we are going to do this every other podcast from here until March the 14th, 2024. So we won't be on next week. We will be on the following Thursday, so you guys can, you know, download the uh, the Highway Freaks podcast appropriately. And there's many, many in the archives. So just because you miss us next Thursday, don't think you can't get your Highway Freaks fix. You can go there and you can listen to some of the classic ones, or you can listen to some of the ones like around number thirty when uh, we started having our new road panel come on. So uh, please do. Please do, as, as, as the saying goes. And um, I'd like to thank James P. White once again. I think he was an amazing asset to our podcast, and uh, we hope to see him very soon here once again. So we're going to got another song. It's classic GM. Um, I would definitely like you to tell us a little bit about it uh, after I play Georgia Overdrive on Highway Freaks. Flying down 75 Just pulled in from Chattanooga A little brunette in a black corvette Had this truck really moving I was doing no pain in the show off lane When along came a state cruiser He said, boy, you better have a good excuse I got you 90 miles an hour well, I rolled my eyes and my mouth got dry I was seriously doing some thinking And every time I tried to tell him a lie I could feel my story sinking But with my chin up high, I gave him a smile As I relived those few miles I said, buddy, should have seen her in a red hot dress High heel shoes and a black forehead She put me in the Georgia overdrive And that girl, she drove me wild Then me put my pedal to the floor Cause I just had to look once more And lose all of my good sense By the way she wore that dress Officer, I ain't gonna lie Put me in a Georgia overdrive Well, his eyes got red and he took out his pen I could see this was gonna hurt me He said, 90 miles an hour in the state of Georgia You ought to wish you'd never met me but I'm giving you a break, it's your lucky day I'm just gonna give you a warning I said sit right there, you can't leave yet Till you tell me again about the little brunette That put you in a Georgia overdrive And that girl, she drove you wild Make you put your pedal to the floor Cause you just had to look once more Did you lose all of your good sense By the way, she wore that little red dress So I know you ain't lying in a Georgia overdrive Utah. 
know she drove you a while Make you put your pedal to the floor Cause you just had to look once more And you lose all of your good sense By the way she wore that little red dress Son, I know you ain't lying She put you in a Georgia overdrive She put you in a Georgia overdrive By the way, she wore that skimpy red dress Son, I know you ain't lying She put you in a Georgia overdrive But next time you're gonna fry If I catch you in a Georgia overdrive Well, that was George Overdrive. It was kind of a story. Uh, I could say that was a good part of that was true. Uh, I actually played the, uh, my voice was the, the, the voice of the policeman as well in that, in that song. Uh, but it was a story I enjoyed writing. It was uh, kind of a, it wasn't controversial at all. It was just kind of puckerish, you know, kind of guys sees girl in a short dress and loses his shit, you know, going down the road. So I enjoyed writing it. It was kind of comical. Uh, it was in the early days. The production on it wasn't the greatest, but it's a cute little song. And uh, that was George Overdrive. Uh, okay, so next we're going to have Greg up to talk about his topic. And we're looking forward to that. So take it away, mister. Thank you there, GM. And Thank you for the music, as always, and as as Bryce said, thank you to Jimmy for coming on. Can't wait to see him again or talk to him again. Actually, can't wait to see him in the wrestling ring against GM. That will <laughs> that will that will be a great thing to see. So, uh, it's, most most of you have listened to these know that I I spent many many years in in a fire and in the emergency medical services. So. I've got a medical background and I've got a lot of medical stuff in my head still from all those years. And I, I was always very intrigued with the brain, with the human brain, because it's, it's an absolutely amazing piece of equipment that I think a lot of people take for granted 99% of the time. And, uh, and this little thing I'm going to read to you is, is about a very interesting brain. And, uh, it, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I'll, there's a, there's a really great documentary about this guy on, on YouTube. And I would, I would suggest if it's something that interests you, definitely look it up and watch it because it'll just, it'll blow your mind what this guy's is like. This guy's name was Lawrence Kim Peake. He was born in Salt Lake City, Utah on November 11, 1951 to Fran and Jean Peake. Now, Kim was born with several, several brain abnormalities and uh, physical abnormalities. He was born with what's known as microcephaly, which is uh, an unusually large head. And in particular, it's generally the frontal portion of the head that's very large. You had this really pronounced forehead he also had damage to cerebellum and another interesting 
uh, brain abnormality called a genesis of the corpus callosum. And it's a condition in which a bundle of nerves that connects the two hemispheres of the brain is missing. So if you can imagine the anatomy of the human brain, you have two hemispheres. And in the middle is this big bundle of nerves that connects the two hemispheres together and allows them to communicate with each other. He was completely missing his corpus callosum. And in his case, the secondary connectors, such as the anterior commissure, were also missing. At nine months old, his parents took him to a neurologist in Salt Lake City. Now, this neurologist, when they got in there, told him he only had five minutes to talk to them because he was late for a golf game. Well, yeah, that's, that's being a real dick. But he looked at his at uh, Kim's files and all his information and basically told his parents, he said, Kim is severely mentally retarded. You should just put him away in a facility, which this facility was called American Fork. You should just put him away in American Fork and just forget about him. Now, could you imagine a doctor telling the parents of a child to just put him away and forget about him, not to ever worry about him again. It, it's just ridiculous. There's speculation with all these problems that he had that that his neurons made unusual connections due to the ap absence of the corpus callosum and resulted in a really unbelievable increased memory capacity. Oh, uh, let's see. According to his father, Fran, Kim was able to memorize things from the age of 16 to 20 months. Now, this is before he's two years old. He was reading books, he was memorizing books, and he was actually speaking before he was two years old. Kim would read books, memorize them, and then he would place them upside down on a shelf or on the floor to show that he had finished reading them. A practice he maintained all his life. Um, he was he was reading entire volumes of encyclopedias before he was three years old and memorizing them, which is just absolutely incredible. Now, when he would read, we normally how we read is we will read the left page and then we will read the right page. And it would normally, a normal person, unless you're some kind of speed reader, it will take you about three to eight minutes per page. A page for Kim would take eight to ten seconds. He would read the left page with his left eye. He would read the right page with his right eye simultaneously. And again, he would read each page within eight to ten seconds and memorize up to 98% of what he read. So he could speed through a book in about an hour and remember almost everything he had read, memorizing vast amounts of information in subjects ranging from history and literature, geography and numbers, to sports, music, and dates. This guy was, an amazing, was amazing with, with dates and numbers. He couldn't do basic math. He couldn't comprehend basic math. But he could tell, if you asked, if he asked, you told him where you lived, he could tell you what your area code was. 
He could tell you what your zip code was. He could tell you the area code, zip codes for surrounding areas. If you live someplace like Los Angeles, which had multiple zip codes and multiple and multiple uh, area codes for the phone numbers, he could tell you all those. So just absolutely amazing things. He knew sports. He knew dates and you could you could tell him what your birthday was. He could tell you the day of the week it was. He could tell you the day of the week it's going to be for your next birthday. He could tell you the day of the week you were three years old. He could tell you the day of the week when you're going to retire. All these things. He was actually used by NASA to calculate calendar dates back before back before the calendar was even invented, which is just incredible incredible according to an article in the times newspaper he could accurately recall the contents of at least 12,000 books i think it was probably more than that by the time by the time he passed away peak lived in murray utah and spent a considerable amount of time reading at the Salt Lake City Library. He literally lived there. He would go in there and just read books all day long. And demonstrating his capabilities at schools with great help from his father. Peake did not walk until he was four years old. And even then, in a sidelong manner, he could not button his shirt and had difficulty with other ordinary motor skills, presumably due to the damage to the cerebellum which normally coordinates motor activities. In psychological testing, Peak yielded superior ability in performance subtests and limited ability in verbal subtests, leading to his overall IQ of 87. And that was not considered a, value, a valid measure of his cognitive ability because of just the amount of information he, uh, he held on to in the... In the documentary, I was telling you about uh, there's a doctor who, who literally called him the human Google. He knew so much information and could recall so much information. In his adult life, Peek attended the Columbus Center and earned $40 a week doing payrolls for 86 employees at the Salt Lake City School District. His father did not fully appreciate Peek's talents until 1979 when he correctly predicted the plummeting Skylab would land near Perth, Australia. So, again, just his, this incredible brain somehow decided that he knew exactly where Skylab was going to land. In 1984, screenwriter Barry Morrow met Peake in Arlington, Texas. The results of the meeting was the 1988 Academy Award-winning film Rain Man. So this is why Kim Peek is called the real Rain Man. The character of Raymond Babbitt, although inspired by Peek, was depicted as being an individual with autism. Dustin Hoffman, who portrayed Babbitt in the film, met Peek and other individuals that displayed savant mannerisms. Now, they actually called Kim Peek a, a mega savant because of the number of things he was good at. A savant generally has one thing that they can, they can be great at, like uh, like playing a piano, listening to a song, and playing it on piano, 
immediately or, or singing or, or memorizing one thing, but because he memorized multiple things, he was called a mega savant. Studying their, he was studying their characteristics and nature in order to play the role as accurately as possible. Now, like I said, he, he uh, in the movie, he played somebody with autism. Kim Peek did not have autism. He, uh, he was not autistic. He had this, he had the corpus callosum issue and the damage, other brain damages, but it was not autism. The movie led to a number of requests for appearances which increased Peek's self-confidence. Um, I think it was I think it was Dustin Hoffman that told Kim's father said, "Please, please share this man with the world." Barry Morrow gave Peek his Oscar statuette to carry with him and show at these appearances, which he did. He took it everywhere he went. It has since been referred to as the most loved Oscar statue because it has been held by more people than any other. Peek also enjoyed approaching strangers and showing them his talent for calendar calculations, which I was telling you earlier, by telling them on which day of the week they were born and what news items were on the front page of major newspapers that day. He could also tell you what the number one song was, who won the World Series that year, who pitched the games in the World Series, who won... A boxing match at that time. It just an amazing amount of recall information. Peek also appeared on television. He traveled with his father, who took care of him and performed many motor tasks that Peek found difficult, such as shaving, brushing his teeth, bathing, and combing his hair. He uh, he had all this information pouring out of his brain, but he couldn't do the simplest things. Unfortunately, Kim Peek died December nineteenth. 2009 of a heart attack he was at the age of 58 his father Fran passed away April 5th 2014 at age 88 now I didn't say anything about this but uh, Fran and and Kim's father or Kim's mother had divorced many many years ago when Kim was still a child so it's basically it was his father Fran who took care of him all this time and what a, an amazing soul and Kim always, when speaking of his loving father, always said, me and my dad share the same shadow, which he, he says that in that documentary, and I just, I just tear up anytime I hear him say that in, a, in, a, in an interview. I mean, just what an amazing person Kim was, what an amazing person his father was, and that's my little write-up and my little story about the, about the real Rain Man. That's all, folks. That was very interesting. At the beginning, you mentioned that there was some sort of brain damage. Damage? Did they say how that happened? It was, as far as they know, it was just a genetic thing. I mean, oh. other than that, and, you know, it's that's why, of course, when he was much younger, they they did they they called it mental retardation or autism, and and it wasn't until much later on when they finally, you know, when MRIs were available and they did MRIs as they noticed that his, his corpus, his corpus callosum was just not there. And, mm-hmm. uh, there were all these other things that were going on and, and basically the two sides of his brains made all these weird neuron connections that allowed, 
basically his brain to become a sponge at a such an amazing fast rate. And that's what kills me about that reading thing, yep. you know, reading reading two pages simultaneously with with different eyes and 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 memorizing ninety eight percent of what he reads, it just yeah. blows my mind. Mm-hmm. And did it say? Is there many other people in the world with that? Very few that are mega savants. There are there are there are some. Yes, there's a there's a fellow that Kim actually met. I can't remember his name. I think he's from the UK, but he's just an absolute whiz with math, um, with numbers. He, he, uh, I think if I remember right, he, he said pi, you know, pi is a string of numbers, 2.14, blah, 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 blah. And it basically, it goes on to infinity. And if I remember right, he, he, he recited pi to 2,500 decimal points or something like that. Just absolutely amazing. Wow. I'll say Jesus. Yeah, the brain There's a is... data girl that could do that with her eyes, Greg. She could look at me in the eye, and with the other eyes, she was doing her nails. It was amazing. It's like a lizard. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Yeah, the brain. The brain's just. <laughs> the brain's just a crazy thing, and especially in situations like that. I, I just, I'll, I'll send you guys the, the link to that. Uh, yeah, because he's, he's just, he was such. I wish. I would have given anything to have got to just sit down and talk to him oh, yeah. for 30 minutes because, yeah. and, it, and he, at, when he was much younger and before, before the whole rain man thing, he could not look you in the eye. He wow. could not, he cannot really clearly communicate and something about something about him getting involved with this movie thing made it click. And he, and he says in the documentary, I, you know, before this, I couldn't look anybody in the eye. And, and then he became such an amazing, an amazing, not necessarily speaker, but, uh, his, it, mainly it was his, his dad, Fran, who just right. was just an incredible man. Incredible. I wonder how much, I wonder how much time the medical community spent on his condition, learning about that space in the middle between the two hemispheres. Uh, it, I wonder it, if it was quite a bit of time. They did a lot of testing in that in the documentary. They, they talk about the different testing they did. Even NASA, you know, I told you that that he did those he did those calculations for them. But they also did a bunch of of research to figure out, you know, how is this really working? They 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 kind of have an idea, but don't have an idea. It's just one of those amazing amazing things with mm-hmm. the human brain. Mm-hmm. Interesting, man. Yes. I left my mic above my head. So that's what happens when you eat spaghetti. So. <laughs> Trying to pa- yep. unpackage that statement. What's that, GM? I'm just trying to unpackage that statement that you bumped your head and that's what happens when you eat spaghetti. Oh, okay. Well, you're still traumatized from a midget that wants to, to fight you. <laughs> I, I've, not, I've been threatened five times tonight by a midget. <laughs> I know that was that was good. I, I like that. I feel special about that, Greg. Can you I, say that you've had that happen in your life? Absolutely not. <laughs> so I'm kind of feeling kind of special about this. In a you, weird you should. Kind of way. In you a should. Weird kind of way. <laughs> well, well, I I hear you do give advice, and the last song here from your classic GM Blacktop <laughs> songs are Daddy's Advice. 
And then we'll get All some right. pylon shout-outs right here on Highway Freaks. Okay, so, um, yeah, so we're going to do some pylon shout-outs. I will lead with the pylon shout-outs tonight, okay? And uh, we'll go from there. So it's a long one tonight, but I think it's really good content, guys. I really like this one tonight. Um, I, I would rate 60 as, as one of the better ones for sure. So well, not that they're all bad. I'm just rating. I just. What's that? Were you threatened to have the shit kicked out of you five times tonight? No. no. Well, I was. I know. I don't know how you. I don't know how you. I don't know how you provoked that. I'm not really I sure. You haven't caught on yet, Brian. <laughs> what? I haven't caught on. Yeah, I wouldn't mind Greg's opinion on this. Greg, did I provoke me getting the shit kicked out of me five times? <laughs> uh, I'll, 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 here's a here's a pun. A little bit. <laughs> oh, really? really? You think I did? <laughs> I, 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 I'm just. It's too damn funny. You, you poked the bear. Really? You were poking you the bear. Thing, Let's put it that way. He might have taken taken the wrong he, way. Is that he, well, he, he poked? He, he poked Boo Boo Bear. Yeah, yeah. Oh. might have said there was wrong with. He said the first time he wanted to fight me. I told him I'd let him stand on my belt buckle and punch me in the face. But maybe that's what did it. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Well, gonna have All right. So, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay. So we're back. And uh, what a podcast visit number 60 has been. It's, uh, it's been all over the map. And, uh, Quite frankly, that's what we're all about. Uh, you know, you never know what uh, railroad track you're going to get off. Uh, by the way, Jimmy has a podcast. It's called the Jedi Jimmy Podcast. It's on Spotify. His stuff is all about Star Wars or anything Star Wars related. He got me hooked on The Mandalorian. I, I didn't think I'd like that. And I'm telling you, that's a really good show. So um, if you want to hear more of Jimmy, check out his podcast. Now we've got some pylon shoutouts, and I'm going to be first tonight because I recently was treated like a king uh, buying a truck, and I don't normally get that kind of treatment. Um, I can't say enough about Raj. Uh, uh, I can't say enough about his crew, uh, Indy, uh, Hardeep, and uh, Bupinder. All awesome people. All awesome people. You get red and blue shout-outs, like unbelievable shout-outs. I'm going to give a black shout-out to Scotiabank because they declined my down payment when I had put it on my credit card because they thought I was somebody stealing Brian Wade's card, which I wasn't. It was my card. So, unfortunately, I had to try to find money elsewhere. So, they get the black pylon shout-out tonight. How about you, Corinne? Uh, for Red Pylon, I would like to give that to my one of my gardening clients, Anne. She, I was working at her place today, and she had uh, homemade soup ready for me after I was done working. Uh, Blue Pylon, I'll uh, send to Jimmy, welcoming to him to the crew and for being on tonight. And Black Pylon, I want to throw at the weather forecasters because they have just been screwing it all up. With all the technology they have, it, they say one thing and it does the exact opposite. It's just annoying and confusing. Okay, can I add to that? Corinne, sure. try, go, try taking your dogs out in minus 35 degree weather and you have to pick them up 
because it's that chilly. We're talking minus 35 stupid here in Alberta. It is so, so cold. When I lived in Saskatchewan and I had my two dogs, I yeah, had to do that too. Right. Greg, who's your uh, pylon shoutouts tonight? Uh, no black tonight, but uh, I'm going to do a red and a blue. And it's, it's, it's mainly because it's a couple of people that, because of the things they've accomplished over the years that I'm, I'm still just incredibly, incredibly proud, proud of. Uh, Red goes out to Stacy Wolf, who I lovingly call Airwolf, and you'll figure out why here in a second. I, back in my days in the fire department, I met her. She was a junior or senior in high school, and she was a cadet firefighter for one of the local fire departments. And we just kind of hit it off. And over the years, she became an EMT, and then she became a paramedic. And she was actually she was taught by my sister in her paramedic school. After she became a paramedic, she went on to work for Air Evac, which is a is a air ambulance, helicopter air ambulance. After that, she ended up, I'm not sure exactly how she got there, but she ended up working for an air ambulance in Haiti, the island of Haiti down in the Caribbean. She was down there for three or four years, uh, did a lot of great work for them, did a lot of changes. She would She would travel around the country and uh, and speak at air ambulance uh, get-togethers about everything she's done down there, and then after that she she got her she always had the wish to uh, to work for the Maryland State Police because they have several helicopters that they run as air ambulances. She uh, she left Haiti because she got the ability to uh, or she got hired on. She went to Maryland to their police academy, got through a biggest part of her first time, her first go around. They were doing uh, training for defensive tactics. It was basically teaching police officers how to use their hands to fight off criminals. For some reason, they put this little, little thing with a big guy and uh, he body slammed her and broke her neck. Oh. Uh, so she had to go through rehabilitation and surgeries and all that kind of stuff. They allowed her to go back and try the academy again, and she got through it, and she's now working the job she's always wanted to have, which is a paramedic on a helicopter in Maryland. I think it's, I think it's Trooper 5 she works for. So Stacy, always super proud of you, and I know Kelly is up there saying how proud she is of you also. A blue one goes to Buddy Austin. Now, here's this is a funny story. Uh, I was in the same fire department with his dad. I remember when Austin was born. Um, <laughs> uh, he he later, when he got older, became a cadet firefighter with our fire department. He was the typical young cadet firefighter, just full of piss and vinegar, and wanted to go on every run possible. Uh, we'd be down at the fire station for a meeting or a training or whatever, and the alarm would go off. And he would take off running out to the bay to get his gear, screaming, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. First thing always out of my mouth was, slow down, pup, take it easy. And that's where he got his nickname, Pup. <laughs> so uh, he, he, he was on the fire department with me for years. We were always good buddies. Uh, he, we all kind of left the fire department at about the same time. He went on back into law enforcement, which he'd been in law enforcement before. He uh, started out working at a small, small town marshal's service. 
he then in that same county ended up going and working for the county sheriff's department for a short period of time. And then he got an, a job with another department, which is just south of Martins or just south of Indianapolis. It's a little bit bigger city department. And he worked there for several years. And now he is assistant chief of police for Martinsville police department. So big shout out to Austin Combs. Super proud of you, buddy. Keep going. If I'm ever going down through uh, down south Indiana through that town, and the sheriff's department pulls me over in the truck and said, "Do you know that I know pups? So you guys better just write this ticket off." I don't think that'll work, man. <laughs> just just tell them you got beat up by a midget, and they'll just let you go. That's probably going to be a reality. And I'm starting <laughs> to worry about this. That's all. All right. Okay. Well, uh, GM, do you have some uh, yeah. pylon shoutouts? Yeah, I got uh, three pylon shoutouts. Uh, this is an interesting night for me because this has never been done on this podcast. But I'm giving all three shoutouts pylons to uh, to Jimmy. Uh, I'd like to give him the red pylon for the one he did his stuff in drag um, because apparently he like that i'd like to give him the blue pylon for when he was a wrestler and i'd like to give him a black pylon for a threatening to beat me up five times <laughs> that's funny or maybe not so funny so yeah. depends on the outcome yeah right right okay and as usual pav you have the last word on pylon shout outs Bro, my week was just, you know, like really, really normal so far. But I would say black one for the snow. It's minus 35 in Calgary. Not fun at all. Someone like me who moved here from Vancouver. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the worst, okay? And red one, still probably my sister. She's the one cooking food so far really good. And so I think that was all for me, man. Probably I can give one black one to my boss as well. He was sick. Now all of the crew is sick in the office. But yeah, that's for all for me. All right. Anybody else got some final parting words? I have a question for Greg. Okay. You, uh, you created a name for GM earlier and I didn't catch it all. What was it that you said? Well, it can either be it can either be G string blacktop or G string, maybe G string skid mark. Oh, wow! How about if we Name? call it? How about if we call it G strings on backwards? How come my nuts are showing? Name calling. Well, you know, GM, we'd be remiss if you couldn't fire back at at Great Ghost Hunter Greg. I've had enough. I've had enough encounters tonight. I. Greg and I are friends. I, I need to just keep it at that because I, I'm purely disturbed by this, this five threatens. And, and what was really the funniest part for me was I said, you know, I, I called him out. I said, you know, you said you wanted to fight me. And his answer was, and I still do. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was good. That was good. Yeah. 
I, I definitely found that quite quite humorous. So, um, are you scared, Jim? Pardon me. Are you scared now? I am. I have to give a fellow be afraid of midget, but I'm I'm a little afraid of this midget. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get a hold of his his radio station and say, hey, you know how you can make a bunch of money really fast? I know this guy that drives a truck and he's a country singer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, exactly. get, you get him and Jimmy in the wrestling ring. I'm I'm telling you right now. Well, you know, maybe we'll get the freaks to write into the road crew 2022 at gmail.com and make that happen. You never know. So remember, there there is no podcast next Thursday, but you can still get our stuff on archives in the Highway Freaks Spotify archives. Okay, so make sure you check that out. And number 60 with that is a wrap. And as they always say, good night and may the good news be yours. I was a little bitty cowboy, daddy said to me, there's only two things in this whole world that'll bring you to your knees. One of them is money, it'll rot you to the core. The other one is a woman you love, walking out the door. Ain't that a fact? So I took that fatherly advice, set out to live life. It didn't take long till the green back showed this boy the light. I earned my first hundred dollars, stopping groceries at the store. And I lost the whole thing that same week, betting it on a horse. Now I'm down on my knees, learning how to pay. I should have listened to my old man, my money's now blowing away. It went straight through my heart. And slip right through my hands If you're gonna mess with daddy's advice Pick a song, place to laugh Well, you think I've learned from my mistakes You take just what I need But a blue-eyed blonde in a short skirt Took a hold of me I opened up and let it all hang out I guess she needed more Short cheers and a stack of bills She's walking out the door You'll figure that out Now I'm down on my knees I'm begging her to stay I should have listened to my old man My woman's not going away She went straight through my heart I slipped right through my hands If you don't miss with daddy's advice Pick a soft place to laugh well, I guess his golden words sort of kind of hit home Cause I'm kneeling here in a pool of tears Down on two pillows You think I learned more than that? Yeah, right. I'm down on my knees I'm begging her to stay I should have listened to my old man And my woman's not going away, way, way Straight through my heart She slipped right through my hands If you go Daddy's advice because a soft place to lie Now if you're gonna miss with daddy's advice because a soft place to lie Daddy, I know you told me, but I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>